Hi, I'm Ollie from near Philadelphia. I'm Cinna from Ohio. And this is Backlist and Chill, Season 10, Episode 2. Alright, here at Backlist and Chill, if this is your first time, you have to fight. <laughs> okay, actually, no. We're drinking. That's what we do here. We listen to an... <laughs> we listen to... We read an author's <laughs> backlist, and then we sometimes drink about we it. Sometimes we listen to it. Sometimes we... Sometimes. It's true. You do listen to this, the books. There was no audiobook for this one, though, I'm assuming. No, no. Nope. Yeah. Why would there be? <laughs> and then we get together, and we chat, and we drink usually appropriately named alcoholic beverages. Mm-hmm. Today, we're talking about Amelia Atwater Rhodes. The book is Token of Darkness. Yes. It sure is a book that happened. Is it? Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. Actually, for the first time, I'm not sure if it's a book. If I turn around right now, will there be a book there, or will it all have been a figment of my imagination? <laughs> there'll be some paper, but I don't know if there'll be words on it. <laughs> Right. I'll just open it up and it'll be blank. And I'm like, what is this? How did this get here? Is this a journal? Should I draw pictures in it? It's a very specific cover for a journal. (laughs) Why did I buy this? (laughs) Why did I buy this, actually? That's a good question. Uh, Because once upon a time, you liked to read the author's books when they came out. That's true. I was a completist. I didn't even buy this when this came out. I bought this like maybe a few years ago. Oh, wow. Did you read it at that point? No, I mean, I'd read it before, but uh, oh, like a I library just didn't library? own it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. So before we talk about the book, the book, the book, we should talk about what we're drinking. Okay. What are you drinking, Ollie? I'm drinking absinthe. <gasps> it's the, the Wollersheim absinthe blanche again. But I found this little bottle that my my friend Alexander had given me, and they'd given me this little bottle a very long time ago. I don't remember when, but I think it's pronounced Chiroc. It's like C-I-R-O-C, but it's got like a little hat on top of the I. I've seen those around. Yeah, it's just a little bottle of it, and it's apparently some kind of grape wine-infused vodka. Mm. So it's like Chiroc Black Raspberry. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna fucking do it finally. And I thought I could just like pour the whole thing in, but no. Wait, with your absinthe? Yes. Ooh. So it's black raspberry, absinthe, pineapple juice, lemon juice, lime juice, and then I took one of the pineapples chunks and like smushed it a bit in a bunch of sugar and then like half muddled it into the drink as well. So it's a licorice black raspberry pineapple lemon lime that sounds i mean except for the licorice part but it's just me yeah that sounds and, that, and it was only like i did instead of like one shot of absinthe and one shot of the black raspberry infused vodka wine mm-hmm. i just did one shot between the two of them wow that sounds really good how is it it's pretty good um it was not pretty good until i added the, the juices because <laughs> i'm like how is this gonna taste with that black raspberry stuff in the absinthe and i was like that is alcohol right you can't really just drink alcohol and alcohol at least we can't because we're lightweights yeah. <laughs> there are people out there who just drink alcohol right not, right not us you know i'm gonna say listen you can't um it's illegal and like out of fashion nobody just drinks alcohol everybody puts juice in it yeah obviously so obviously that's all over a bunch of ice 
I served it in my little skull head. Mm-hmm. I put some extra sugar in, just because why not? And um, yeah, it's very fruity, and I like it. And I'm calling it mm-hmm. "Hey There, Delilah." Oh, that's I like I like that a lot. Because Delilah deserves better, in my opinion. Agreed. Yeah. So I figured if she can't be a bigger part of the book, she can be the reference of my drink. I love that. And I I love that in spirit as well. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's, it's quite good. Tell me about yours. I saw your picture and I thought that was so neat with the oh. like streaks on it. So tell me. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, I have a question for you. Was your bottle of vodka wine covered in tear stains? <laughs> no. All right. Well, I'm just checking. <laughs> Did it show up on your bed unexpectedly? No. Okay, I'll stop. I mean, it showed up in my life unexpectedly. <laughs> I did not ask for this this <laughs> bottle of vodka. It's been, like, around for a long time, and I'll just see it in the fridge. And, like, I've had to move it so many times, being like, you're in my way. Uh, should I drink it? Should I not? Should I just throw it out? And I'm like, no, you know, I have positive feelings towards this little bottle. I'll, someday I'll figure what, out what to do with it. I, I do like that we could provide you with the opportunity to finally, finally. <laughs> finally. Accept Alexander's gift. Yeah. Unfortunately, I still have, like, more left. So. Well. I have to figure out something else for it. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come back in handy. Blackberry and, and you know, wine. This is, this is yeah, after now that. having had it, I'm less afraid of it. I just didn't yeah. know what it was. Fair. <laughs> All right. So, your drink. So, um, I found something called a liquefied ghost. There are a bunch of different ways you can make it. But the one I settled on was coconut rum, creme de cacao, liqueur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to use cream. I was trying to be mildly health conscious. La 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 la. So I used the 2% milk that we had in the fridge. And because our ghost has a uh, penchant for bright colors and uh, poorly photoshopped streaks, mm-hmm. I took some food coloring and gave my glass streaks. And you know what? The equal amount of effort went into my thing. As went into the cover. So I only had enough to make one drink, which is tragic, but also not that tragic since it kind of just smelled and therefore tasted like I was drinking sunscreen. Ew. Dave liked it. He had a drink of it and he said, oh, no, this just tastes like coconut hot chocolate. And it probably does to somebody who doesn't associate coconut with sunscreen, unfortunately. Was me. So I, I am intrigued now to try making hot chocolate from like coconut milk. Ooh, that sounds good. I've got some fancy hot chocolate that I could try that with. Honestly, adding alcohol to hot chocolate is like my favorite thing. So mm-hmm. I I support hot chocolate experimentation. Yeah. How are you doing though? Did you get yourself another drink? Oh yeah, no, I finished that one hours ago. Okay. I just grabbed a bottle of wine and that's what I'm drinking now, so. All right. All right. I like that. So, it is time. Is it? Yeah. So, I'm going to read this here blurb, but what I'd like to comment on before I do so very quickly to keep this in mind as I read the blurb Mm -hmm. is that on the Ravenous Reader blog tour, the author says, 
When I read the back of the book for the first time, and no, I don't write those blurbs, I literally paused and went, huh, I wrote that? So, like, the author, I don't know what the author thought was the book was. But here's the blurb, kids. Amazing. Cooper Blake has everything going for him until he wakes up from a car accident with his football career in ruins and a mysterious, attractive girl by his side. Cooper doesn't know how Samantha got there or why he can see her. All he knows is that she's a ghost, and the shadows that surround her seem intent on destroying her. No one from Cooper's old life would understand what he can barely grasp himself. But Delilah, the captain of the cheerleading squad, has secrets of her own, like her ability to see beyond the physical world, and her tangled history with Brent, a loner from a neighboring school who can hear strangers' most intimate thoughts. Delilah and Brent know that Cooper is in more trouble than he realizes, and that Samantha may not be as innocent as she has led Cooper to believe. But the only way to figure out where Samantha came from will put them all in more danger than they ever dreamed possible. Token of Darkness is a chilling, irresistible read about the nature of power and responsibility. Is it? It's not. Um, (laughs) So with the exception of the only way to figure out where Samantha came from will put them in more danger than they ever dreamed possible. The rest of that is is accurate. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what the author thought they were writing. If they looked at this and went, huh, I wrote that? No. You know what happened? It's the same thing that happened to me. They fell asleep in the middle of that uh, summary and then woke up and were like, oh, I wrote that? Oh, cool. No, I was I was paying attention the whole time. I don't know. That wasn't a story. I was writing. I did a book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, Cooper, um, Brent, uh, Samantha's a ghost. Um, there's also a chillin'. Yeah, 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 yeah. Danger. Totally, totally the book yeah, that yeah, I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's the blurb. It is for the most part correct, but figuring out where Samantha came from does not put them in any fucking danger. I don't even think the book thinks it puts them in any danger. No, absolutely not. Like, that's just a blatant lie on the blurbist's part. The blurbist. (laughs) How dare you, blurbist. (laughs) You tried so hard to make it sound interesting. And then the whole chilling, irresistible read about the nature of power and responsibility. Like, you are buzzwording so bad. I, maybe, maybe that's what it was supposed to be about. Maybe. Um, It was not what it was actually about. No. Let's talk about the cover. There's only one cover of this, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. It's like the first book that we fucking talked about that only has one cover. Amazing. So yeah, I have the paperback. I also have the paperback. Oh, wow, we're reading the exact same book. Oh my god, my god, my god. Wait, hold on, let me look at the front. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, what is it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First first edition? Mine too. Hey! (gasps) High five. High five the book because I couldn't high five you. I'm going to high five the microphone. Boop. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't have a smell. We're not Uh, shocked. Hold on. I can... I kind of get something... But it's a very subtle book like smell. chemical smell? Like just, like near the spine, if you really. <laughs> Look, literally, I was thinking about the past times where we've talked about the, bu- the book crack. <laughs> <laughs> just put your nose in the book crack. Just like right in the crack. <laughs> like, a, like this is how books and people get to know each other. <laughs> hey, what book are you reading? Oh, here, you want to smell it? <laughs> 
seems like a nice book. <laughs> 15 years old, huh? <laughs> Not a day over. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's there's something. It's like a, a subtle newspaper smell, I think. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But not a lot. I've already gone nose blind to it. Yeah, it doesn't smell like book. Very disappointing. It also feels, I don't know about yours, but I picked mine up and it felt so cheap. Oh, oh, I would definitely agree. It feels like uh, I when we were book blogging, we'd get some self-pubbed ARCs where like it just felt like cheaper material. Yeah, the, the cover has a weird... Not a weird texture, but like you said, a cheap texture. Yeah. It's just slick. It's super, gl- it's super glossy in a, yeah, in it, a cheap way. It feels way. like a, like a dust jacket got turned into the mm-hmm. cover. Yeah. It just feels like anybody who's ever held like a publish on demand book, like, you know, the yeah. feeling like it's just, it's just that it's super weird that this was put out by fucking random house or whoever. Yeah, it was Random House. Actually, who who was it at this point? Had they had the merger? Let's find out. It says Ember on mine. Does it? Yep. They must do their paperbacks, because it is Random House. Let's see. Oh, wait, hold on. Published in the United States by Ember, an imprint of Random House. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. But still, Random House. Come on, yeah. Maybe maybe Ember became their young adult line. It's, but I cannot, literally cannot think of another book that I've seen that was published by Amber. I wonder if the next one will be. We'll have to remember to look. Looking at the hardcover copy of the other one, it doesn't have the same thing on it. Interesting. I wonder if this was, the paperback was maybe published after the hardcover of Poison Tree? Maybe. Or wait, no, it would have been All Just Glass. Yeah, it was after All Just Glass, because it has it listed in the front through All Just Glass. Yeah. So then it couldn't have been published long after or before Poison Tree, because that would have been in there. Yeah, it would have been published at the same time as All Just Glass. Mine says 2011 was when this particular one was published. Yeah, and that it originally published in 2010. Yeah. Interesting. This is a, this is a kind of quality content you get here at Backlist and Chill. <laughs> When we talk about, but honestly, I know I was so intrigued when like there were mergers and stuff, and then young adult imprints started happening. This was history no one gives a fuck about, but I was intrigued by. This is this for all of our publishing industry nerds out there. <laughs> and I'm I'm clicking over here, mm-hmm. and Ember will be the new trade paperback home to bestsellers or something. Um, let's see. So they had Ember and Blue Fire. They did uh, Midgrade and YA with each a different focus. Ember is the new trade paperback home to bestsellers and award winners, while Blue Fire will feature classic fantasy titles all in paperback format. So yeah, it was their their young adult paperback imprint. Oh, and actually, uh, Token of Darkness was one of the first ones. It's literally listed in this article. Maybe that's why... They were just, like, getting their fucking systems up and running. Yeah, uh, it, it didn't do well for it. I wonder how long Ember lasted, if it lasted. <laughs> Good question. I would actually really love to find a paperback of Aldous Glass and see if it is the same one. If they were like, you made a very cheap books and we're going to go with someone else. <laughs> oh, man. So... That their cover. Anyway, the cover. Hey guys, new update on the new Den of Shadows covers. They're bad. 
<laughs> this just in. Breaking news. This one has the uh, same font as the paperback cover of Persistence of Memory. Right, because I had the Cliff Nielsen hardcover. I have the Cliff Nielsen hardcover. Oh, I'm sorry. You had the Cliff Nielsen hardcover. I had the paperback. So yeah, it's got the same styling as that with the sort of, I like to think of it as like Declaration of Independence style font for the author's (laughs) name. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, oh God, the fucking Photoshop effects on this, you guys. Like, is that called a drop shadow? It's a drop shadow, but it's a poorly applied drop shadow because it's a glow instead of being a proper drop shadow. Like, Token of Darkness, the title, has like a legit drop shadow, kind of, Mm -hmm. but the Amelia Atwater Rhodes just has a black glow around it, which is like the number one fucking amateur thing that you do when your text doesn't show up against your light colored background. Like, it's just (laughs) the laziest way to fix that. And I don't know how the entire series got branded this way. The title and text effects are so fucking amateurish. And like, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but this legit holding it looks like a self-pub. Yeah. So the picture itself is poorly photoshopped. It's just, and it's boring and dirty looking. I tried when I was making the covers to this episode and other episodes for this season, I tried so hard to do something that would make this cover not look dirty. And you just can't. Yeah. It's got this awful grunge texture over it. And it's a picture of a hill with a bare tree. It's funny because all of this takes place in like the summer and the autumn. Yeah, it's weird. It's definitely got a winter vibe. But as you said, not a winter vibe in the book. And it's all done in shades of like gray and bluish gray, but there's not a lot of striking saturation to it. And at the base or sort of looking up at the hill is a girl with her back to the camera with long white hair. She's probably just been desaturated, but like the hair is effectively white and she's wearing like a, I don't know, sundress, like baby doll type sundress. Yeah. And she's got the worst photoshopped streaks in her hair. Like, it literally looks like somebody just took a soft, rounded brush and ran it over the hair and then said, this is fine. It's funny, too, because if you look at it closely, which, of course, we have to do physically, (laughs) it's like, well, I guess I'll just use an erase to make it look like other bits of blonde hair have stepped out in front of it a little bit. Right, like, they made the effort to, like, paint strands over the bad streaks, but then why didn't you just spend more time making the streaks look real? Like, I... Right? Anyway, at the bottom of the cover is the title, Token of Darkness, uh, with a purple swish behind it, which doesn't match anything on the cover. Why purple? It just looks like a mistake. You would have thought that they would make that the the glow. Right. Or make that green or something. Something to tie it in with the rest of the cover. But instead it's purple. I don't know why. But yeah. No, this is the worst cover of all of them. It's just so bad. And your comment about it looking dirty like it fell in the dirt. Mm -hmm. You've picked up on a thing that I've never been able to verbalize Mm -hmm. about why I just 
don't even like picking up this book. Because <laughs> it feels like you need to wash your hands. There's just that reaction of feeling like, did this get mildewed? <laughs> it does. You can even see spots. Yeah. And like, it's not. It's a perfectly fine book. It's never been in the water. There is no mildew. I don't have to be afraid of it. <laughs> you know, the funniest part is that like, if you look at it digitally, and even if you look at it in person, it just looks like a super low resolution photo. It looks like all the grunge is like artifacting. Interesting. Even though I found a relatively high quality picture of this on the internet, it looked low resolution just because so of the weird. textures that have been to applied to it. It's so bad. And with the exception of the streaks in the hair, this cover has nothing to do with this book. Nope. Absolutely nothing. Like, what do those trees matter? Not at all. There's like a figure, if you look really close, and it could just be a bush or something, but I like to choose to think it's a figure, mm -hmm. maybe sitting underneath the trees, but this never happens. The scene doesn't happen. Right. And if that's meant to be a figure, then they should have not hidden it behind grass or whatever. Like, if you're trying to draw your attention to that as like, oh, I'm going to meet this person on a hill, then maybe actually make it look like there's a person there. Yeah. Like, and instead it's like, this hill did not happen. This scene didn't happen. I shouldn't have any question in my mind as to whether that's a figure if it is a figure. Right, <laughs> exactly. Because just there's nothing happening. I'm forced to wonder yet again if they just found cover art somewhere and paid somebody for art that was already done. And they maybe. said, hey... Can you add streaks to her hair? Because that's <laughs> what the character in the book has. And the person said, sure, I'll do that. Probably. It's the same thing that they did with the, the Shapeshifters omnibus cover, the Den omnibus cover. Those oh existed, which is, is fine. Like, yeah. those covers are fine. But this just, like you said, it has nothing to do with the, the contents of the book. Yep, yeah, I would agree. And, uh, you know, if it were a better book, I'd care more. But, uh, as we find out, it, 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 it doesn't matter. Nope. I am, however, now trying to see if I can, like, reverse image. Oh, shit! I'm wrong! There was another cover! Wow! Alright, I'm gonna just drop it to you in the Discord. Completely forgot about this one. Never seen it in person. I haven't either, although, if you look at the inside of your book, that font is used for all the chapter headings. Huh, look at that! The remnants. It's very strange. That cover looks more witchy. Yes. It still doesn't seem to have much to do with anything. That cover is also very 90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Does it say where that picture was, like, used? This one is on Fandom Wiki. Was it, like, a British edition? I feel like it had to have been the hardcover, right? No, the hardcover was this one. What? Was it the first cover and they rejected it? Because it, oh, it just says promotional cover. Interesting. Interesting. Promotional cover? What does that, what does that mean? Maybe it was, like I said, maybe it was the cover and then they decided they were going to move in this other direction and like rebrand the Persistence one as well. You're right. Because this would have been before the Persistence rebranding. I bet that's what happened. Yeah. But the, only this one fucking... Can I find... I can't even find it anywhere else. It's literally... I can find it... For me, it's on books.google.com as the cover to this. 
I wonder if it's like a like a digital only cover. Oh, maybe. Weird. Well, anyway, you're right. It's very 90s, very 90s witchy, like a blonde girl looking like she's in moonlight, but still the same kind of blue colors. Yeah. And like you said, the font for the the title is that kind of really like elongated open letters and things like that. And she's got some forest and it looks like water, like raindrops. Like it's almost like she's looking at a puddle and it's starting to rain. But her hair is out like, like, you know, like wind magic, you know. I would actually yeah. say between the two of them, I wish they had done, gone with this with that cover. I do too. Obviously, this one is the worst cover. Yeah, even even as as throwbacky as this one looks, at least mm-hmm. it's got some character to it, right? I could look at that and go, ah, token of darkness. Gotcha. Right. All right, mystery solved. There was no book. That's a shame. Now it's time to talk about the plot. I I don't know how to talk about this book, Ollie, because it's I don't. I don't care. Let's perhaps talk about the meta of our own readings of this book. Sure. You start. Because I don't know what you mean. (laughs) I started this book on Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's Friday. Mm, Is it? It is. I tried to read this since Sunday. Every day I read a little bit. And then it was Wednesday night. And you were like, hey... If Friday works for you, we could do the podcast then. Because you knew that I was like, I've got half the book to go. For some fucking reason. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I only got 100 pages through this book. (laughs) Understandable. Because it was just so boring. It's so boring. And you offered me Friday, and I said, maybe. And then I watched the season finale of Our Flag Means Death, and I was like, I cannot see myself getting up the fucking energy <laughs> to read this book before bed and then after I wake up tomorrow. I can't read 100 pages. There's no gays in this book, and I had just been, like, served beautiful gay love stories and, and angst on a silver fucking platter. <laughs> so that just made this book even more upsetting for me. So I said, yes, please, let's, let's talk about this book on Friday. So between last night and today, I read the final 100 pages I had like 50 to go today, and it was like pulling goddamn teeth. Yes. It was so boring. And like I said, there were those six last pages, and I sat there. I'm like, I'll play my phone game. I'll make tea. I'll chat with my friends. Like anything to kill time (laughs) so that I had to read the last six pages. (laughs) And, you know, eventually I was like, all right, I, I have to, I have to read this. So I did. But it was so boring. I hated it. I hated every minute of reading this book. <laughs> That's my meta. That's my experience of reading this story. So now you all know what you're heading into with the podcast. <sighs> yeah. So how was your meta experience of reading this book? It was fine. Like, I was making it through, like, it's a short book. Like you said, 200 pages. It Even if it's boring, it's not that hard to read it. Yeah. Um, And then I got to the last four chapters, and I've never had such a wild switch from this book is boring, I don't know what we're going to talk about, to... <laughs> 
well, there's the podcast. Like, <laughs> you have to read, like, I mean, you do have to read, like, the other chapters. But, like, you, there would have been nothing if the book had continued apace. But then you get to the last four chapters and it's like... So, like, everything in the hospital, basically? Yes. It's like, okay. have you ever written a book before? Like, how, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, I was so mad that, like... The answer is no. <laughs> These last 30, it's like 30 pages. The last 30 pages, the last four chapters is, oh my god. I took more notes in those last four chapters than I did for, like, the fucking 20 previous chapters. I yelled at my boyfriend about it for about 10 (laughs) minutes. Like, I was just very fired up. And then, like, I had read my personal paper copy, even though that's not my preference, because I didn't want to pay to buy it again because I don't have that much money. And yeah. the library didn't have it. But I, I shelled out the $8 <gasps> to Amazon so that I could get a digital copy of this book because I could not believe that the book was wrong. I was like, <laughs> I have to be wrong. I'm I'm bad yeah. about skimming. That's just the thing I do. So I'm like I Where I'm like meticulous. Every word must be read. <laughs> right. I'm glad that we have this difference. <laughs> so I'm like I must have missed something. So I bought this book, and I I used the search function, and I looked over it again. I'm like, where did I miss? What did I miss? The the answer is that I didn't miss anything. Yeah. I remember you messaging me, being like, watch for this, watch for that. Yeah. And I, you know, I took time this morning at work. By the way, I got paid to do this. Um, (laughs) Okay. At least there's that. I made, like, my little fucking red string board because I wanted, because I was confident. I'm always confident that the book is right and I just don't understand it. Right. And, you know, I looked at it and I was like, no, it's just, the book is just wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was my experience, being super bored. Then just my brain exploding and then just going into like deep dive mode to to try to put the pieces together, Ollie. <laughs> and then you can't. And you're like, there's pieces missing in this puzzle. There, it's true. There are pieces missing. They don't fit. Oh my God. All right. I'm glad to know where we're coming from. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to talk about what the plot is. Okay, please do. So to start, I'm going to describe our four main characters. Mm-hmm. So our main character is Cooper Blake. Um, all of this takes place in a city outside Boston. It feels like a coast city. It's made up. It's called Landmark, which just sounds like a corporate town to me, and I mm-hmm. wish it was something else. It's all near some town, West Roxbury, which is actually like specifically mentioned. And I, I did do my little string board of where is 15 minutes away by car. On West Roxbury, which is why I think it's probably a coastal town. Anyway, Cooper is a normal boy as far as, like, things go. He's human. Beyond that, he's, like, an all-American boy with a mom and a dad, and he works at the coffee shop that the parents own, and he goes to school, and he's got friends, and he is on the football team. I don't know what position he's in, because that is... If it's mentioned, I don't remember. It's mentioned. He's um, a runner, I think. Yeah, he's he's a runny boy, but I don't know. <laughs> I only know kicker and linebacker. <laughs> like, I was a cheerleader, so... <laughs> Fucked if I know anything else. So, yeah, he's got just all American values. Which, like, first right there, I'm just like, can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> then, Cooper gets into an accident in the summer. 
which was apparently like at the very end of last school year, right as kids were starting to get their summer jobs and stuff like that. So Massachusetts, I know Massachusetts, I know that you get out at the end of June. So now it's the beginning of the next year. He's a senior in September. And he had this accident. And because of this accident, he's very ashamed of like no longer being able to be a football player. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to interact with anybody. So we're starting off with a lead character who doesn't want to interact with people b- because of this accident and uh, other other things that will become apparent with the next character I want to talk about briefly. So you've laid out who Cooper is, but I think it's really important to establish, for those of you who haven't read it, don't. Don't. That... All of the things that you said Cooper was being like a, you know, a football player kid with like a happy home life. That's all told to us. We meet Cooper after the accident. So a a big problem with this book is that everything that people tell us about Cooper before the accident, we only know because people tell it to us. Yeah. He even tells it to us. Yeah. Like we never see that, which is important because this book is going to try to tell us later on that Cooper has changed and that he's had some sort of arc, but we we never saw him be the way that he was before. So for us, no. This is just Cooper. This is just Cooper. He doesn't change. He remains the same essentially through the entire book, even when characters are fucking doing backflips to <laughs> insist that he's had some growth. Incorrect. Yeah, like the only thing I could maybe give to him is that he is no longer completely avoiding everyone, but it's literally just been like a day where he's hung out with two people doing the supposed plot. Mm -hmm. We don't know who he is and what life is going to be like for him. He still has to deal every day with the, like, the pain and the healing, because he was in a really bad accident. Like, the doctors didn't think he was going to survive and then when he did they're like well we don't know if you're gonna walk yeah so his life isn't all perfect and shiny and happy after he could still be like i don't want to hang out with people because it keeps bothering me that they treat me differently right well we don't know and the book is so mixed about what cooper's actual problem is because it, it tells us in one breath that like he doesn't want people to pity him and it's and it could be all of the above right but like he he doesn't want people to pity him. He feels uncomfortable, uh, like physically, like he's in a lot of pain. But then there's the supernatural angle of like, he has these despair shadows hanging on to him, <laughs> making him feel worse than he actually right. should. Right. So it's like, what is, like the previous book, if, if people listened to the previous episode, where it's like, mental health isn't a real problem. It's probably just supernatural stuff. You'll heal up after this and be a normal American boy. Right, which is like, is that the thing, book? Because the book kind of says that. It's like, well, healthy people have defenses against these things. You don't because of reasons. So, like, I can teach you to do question mark. I don't actually know what LaCroix is going to teach him. I don't know. Or LaCroix, whatever the fuck his name is. Let's call him LaCroix. But, like, (laughs) LaCroix. Like the drink, like a hint of a whiff of a mentor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like so yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of of words spilled about the shadows that are following him that are making him feel worse than he is but the fucking like dislike of his friends pitying him is not that's not gonna go away yeah 
his physical pain isn't going to just go away. Like, he's doing physical therapy. Right. It's going to be a while. And, like, at the end of the book, the focus, like, the final paragraphs focus on his relationship with Samantha. So, like, what future does he have? Like, what are you trying to tell me? Well, Samantha is the next character I would like to chat about. Please do. Uh, I'm going to set up who Samantha is as far as we know her at the beginning, which is to say, Cooper had this accident. Sorry. (laughs) Did you throw a sheet on? (laughs) So Cooper had this accident. and when streaks in my hair. When he he woke up, there was a ghost. (laughs) There was a ghost girl there. And she didn't know who she was, but she knew her name was Samantha. She could remember weird random things but she didn't know anything about her life or who she was she was there helping cooper through his his recuperation in the hospital helping him you know get through the worst of therapy and all of that you know like standing up and going on because she was like man you have a body and i don't so you should be respectful of that and and i believe in you blah 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 cooper's the only one who can see samantha and she's the only other person that can also see these despair shadows that he's been seeing since Well, I guess he hasn't been seeing them since the accident. He saw them, and then when the book starts, he's seeing them again. And he even has a comment about, I thought they were gone. I thought that was maybe just part of the nightmare. Mm -hmm. Samantha appears to be a teenage girl who has very funky taste in clothing, except that it changes with her mood, literally. Funky is being generous. (laughs) She will wear clashing stuff but like her she just does it she can't take the clothes off they're just part of her and they don't match like nothing matches so she's got blonde hair with a few teal streaks this line she was cute actually bordering on sexy and i'm like that is not author stop it that is not how this works (laughs) today she was wearing a short pleated skirt black with neon pink splotches and a green and orange striped peasant style blouse Beneath the skirt, she wore gray paisley stockings, torn at the bottom to expose her bare feet. And, like, her outfits get worse from there. It's awful. Yeah, she feels like a manic pixie dream girl, and... Oh my god. That is basically all she is. She's just here to inspire Cooper, and rather than dying at the end, she lives at the end. Right, to be with him, which is... Yeah, to continue, you know, being a part of his life. It is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she should just, like, get, you know, early 2000s Zoe Deschanel and slap a blonde wig with some teal streaks on her, because that's who, that's who she is. She is. I can't, this is so, that he dies and literally manifests himself, a manic pixie dream girl, to <laughs> encourage him to keep living, is, yeah. like, taking away all of the fucking subtle artistry of the manic pixie dream girls who have come before him. <laughs> Which is not much. <laughs> right? It's not a good thing to be. It's a sad thing to be. I This book almost gets around that by giving Samantha her own, like, backstory and trauma. Yeah, except that when we get there, it's not even hers. It doesn't, and it doesn't matter. Like, it all happens no, it in matter. the last four chapters of the book, and it's not actually about that. Yeah, and she's still literally just here to be... With him, basically. Yeah. She's, she's functionally a manic pixie dream girl, even if she does get some finger quotes. The biggest fingers with the biggest <laughs> quotes. Development at the yeah. end. Yep. All right. So our first two characters are a former football player who doesn't want to hang out with anyone. The ghost that only he can see 
who has no idea who she is, so therefore her biggest goal in life is to find a way to live again, but we don't know anything. That's like, that's it. That's your fucking goals. Okay? This is where we start the book. Okay, so the next character that we meet, uh, Brent, who in previous drafts had been Bree, um, a girl, but had been changed because... uh, You got that quote? Do you have... No, you should do it, because I think you have it. Um, the character of Brent, uh, who used to be Bree. Oh, I read the wrong part of it. Hold on. I do see that it was previously titled Knight's Plutonian Shore, and that's a fucking mouthful. I was trying. I was literally trying to figure out what the fuck they meant by that. It's a reference to the poem at the beginning, which is another Edgar Allan Poe jaunt, The Raven. Is it? Okay. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the Knight's Plutonian Shore, quoth the Raven nevermore. Oh, okay. But, like, Knight's Plutonian Shore, would you know what the fuck that book was about? Sci-fi to me. Yeah, and it sounds sounds fake. Sounds made up. Okay, here we go. So the full, the full quote is, The character Brent was also in Persistence of Memory. He, who used to be a she named Bree, was cut from Persistence as Sassy began to take a larger role, but then was perfect for Token, except... That she slash he had to be a guy to get the right kind of dynamic with Cooper. And I hate that. Because you know what they mean, and it's bullshit. Yeah, exactly. You can't just, like, be friendly with this girl. Like, even even Brent had, like, Brent has better chemistry, kind of, in a couple scenes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're both, like, I kind of. Has any chemistry with Cooper. And yet also... Cooper has no interest in Brent, and it feels like even as a friend necessarily, so I wouldn't have been surprised to be like, yeah, you're just you're just not into Brent, like right. or Brie, you know? Because you don't know, translate it. What that means is if Brent were a girl, readers would assume heteronormativity that they yeah. were a romantic couple. That they were heading towards endgame. So I made him a guy so that readers would not assume that. And then be sad. But it still feels gay. But this other can't do gay. romance, so... Right, and it still feels gay. Yeah. Like, I I reading it was like, With the with a big fucking no homo slapped in the middle. Oh my god, it's not even the middle, it's the end. And like, You're right, it's in the hospital. It's It's one of those last four chapters that are just fucking wild. But, like, no, like, honestly, reading this, I've read this before. I immediately forgot what happened. Um, up until that last chapter, I was like, is this gay? Does he hook up <laughs> with Brent? Because that feels like where this is heading. Even his dad is, like, playing wingman, trying to, like. I know, being like, come on in. Yeah, being, being out. supportive ally, dad. Much better book, if that were the case. That would have been great, because we're never even told that, like, Cooper has had an ex-girlfriend. Like, the Delilah isn't his ex-girlfriend, it's Brent's ex-girlfriend. How much cooler of a book would it be if Delilah, who we'll talk about next as our fourth character, was... Well, either way, if if Brie was Delilah's ex-girlfriend, but she was bi and ends up with Cooper, and Cooper was also Delilah's ex-boyfriend, so, like, they're both bi and Cooper's straight, fine. Or even better, both De- both Cooper and Brent are exes of Delilah, and they end up hooking up together. Yeah, I. Now they're bi and Delilah's, you know, heterosexual. You know what this felt like was not close to a a tender Christopher Pike boy relationship, 
not not our dying of AIDS writer in The Last Vampire. <laughs> like, I was specifically thinking about um, Chain Letter and the, the tender <gasps> boy relationship yes. in that. But, like, not as good, right? Because, like, yeah. there's not actually any chemistry as he said actually they're not actually there for for them brent does it out of like feeling like oh god i don't want to dump this kid on delilah she'll tear him apart no like he's not even like i'm intrigued by this football boy you right like the the only reason that it feels gay is because i guess of conventional expectation of like these two characters are spending a lot of time together therefore yeah but he hooks up with Samantha at the end, and that feels fake. So totally <laughs> like, I fake. Don't, I don't even know. I guess he did have more chemistry with Brent. If that felt more natural than the girl that he actually calls sexy, right? It, it, because when he says sexy, it feels so flat. And when like Delilah is described, it's also flat. And it's like just stop, just stop describing girls. Stop trying to like describe anyone. So I think it's important for us to note that this is a nano book, right? Yes, it is. It was their nano book in 2007, published in 2010. Okay. And good books can be written during nano. But better books can be edited <laughs> out of nano books. This is a December 1st publishing. Oh boy. If I've ever seen one, which is wild because it was December 1st, 2010, three years after it was written, but still yeah. somehow. Literally? literally? No, I don't think it was literally. <laughs> okay, I'm like, what? Really? Figuratively. No, it doesn't say it. But yeah, figuratively, this feels like never touched it again, you know, because also. There's a lot of errors in this book. There's, like, again, I go back to my string board. I'm not the string board person here. No, you're not. But I have I am. one. And it's... <laughs> you had to go buy one. I did. I spent $8 on this string board. Yeah. And it it only said that the book was wrong and it wasn't supposed to. Yeah. There's errors in the text. It's like the editor didn't care. And, and reading the... Uh, the thank you at the beginning, the acknowledgements. Editor Jody, who had been with Amy since the beginning, as far as I'm aware, mm-hmm. was still here. It says, her insight has been invaluable these past eight years as we worked together to refine Naisa Group and the stories within, from the golden age of shapeshifters in the Kieshara to the modern den of shadows. So, like, was this while Jody was leaving? Because I know that at some point Jody left for another publishing house. Was she just phoning it in? Because <laughs> there's there's inconsistencies within the text. There's technical errors within the text. There's one point where, like, a line repeats itself. And I'm like, how did no one even catch that? It's so wild because this book was published. And yet there's still... The the solution for the book comes up for the first time in the, the 20th chapter out of 24. And you're like, how? Yeah. And we know it was beta read. Because, like, there were the comments that you had there about, like, and, a, and beta readers said this. And it's like, so other people have looked at it. Other eyes were on this. I am not, again, not trying to be mean, but, like, there's so many fundamental structural things. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, this doesn't feel like a book. <laughs> it's just like a draft. The draft. Yeah, it feels like a draft. It is absolutely... Here's a kind of polished draft 
except that, like I said, I'm still finding errors. And I know, like, I'm, I'm an asshole about errors and like, I make them too, right? But especially when I can't just keep overlooking it. Cause like when I see one, I'm like, all right, whatever. When I see two, I'm like, that's weird. When I catch five mm-hmm. and then also the plot doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and no one has like content edited it for consistencies. Like, I thought that was basically all publishers did at this point was be like, someone read this and make sure that all the consistencies match up. (laughs) Boop, boop, boop. Like, they don't, it it feels like they don't try to make your story tighter. Fine. But I thought they were still doing at least, like, consistency checking. This was R.L. Stein's uh, continuity editor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It makes me feel bad for the author because I feel like there's, the quality of this book feels like they stopped, they've stopped caring. And- That's the frustrating thing is like, you know, I finished this book, I did my string board, and then I sort of sat back and I'm like, there's stuff here that could be interesting. Like, you see where the book is going, like, in its final form. We got the update for the the Den of Shadows RPG. Um, We got the Token of Darkness update. There's some interesting new tidbits happening here. But like, even the book several times will tell you like almost like a fucking like red pen notation like character has x development but the book just (laughs) sort of writes it in instead of showing it and like yeah okay i get where you were going with this but it's still just building blocks like they have not been turned into a beautiful statue right like yeah we usually say that a book needs from from this author. We're usually like, man, if they only had like another twenty five pages to flesh this out, this needs like another fifty. I, well, yes, and it needs editing. You need to go back yeah. and and add stuff in about mm-hmm. Samantha's They're missing origin. Sins. Like, uh, yeah, you need a publisher that cared about this story, <laughs> but it really feels like they were just like, all right, fine, good enough, publish it, <sighs> get it out there. We've got a contract. Good enough is so generous. Anyway, we haven't even talked about you haven't even finished introducing characters. I'm sorry. Oh right, we got distracted because we were talking about the meta behind it. Yeah. Right. And we were saying that Brent finger quotes has more chemistry with Cooper in that is to say he has any scenes that feel like between two real characters as opposed to just two cardboard cutouts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that we really know about Brent is that he is a telepath. He previously dated Delilah last September through, like, March. He doesn't like to be around people because he can hear all of their thoughts. He's doing a lot better now since he learned how to, like, control it a little bit. Oh, and also he hates his mom because she's, like, mean and abusive and takes pills. Like, she's a fucking one-note bullshit character. And coded poor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he goes to the tech... And, like, the beginning of the book bends over backwards to talk about how the tech's not a bad place. But then even in Brent's own chapters, he talks about the public high school as the, quote, regular high school. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mmm, author, you're so classist. And it's in his his house. I, again, I did my fucking word searches to find out, like, did I just make up that Brent felt poor? Like, was that something I projected onto the character? And, and like, it doesn't go into detail about it, but he does specify that, to like, his house is tiny. Like, there are just things in there that feel, like, lower income coded. And yeah. the fact that his mom is, like, taking his pills and portrayed in a very unsympathetic way is just... Mm-hmm. And a single mom. 
She's a fucking caricature. And, and like, listen, I'm I'm here for you to like be frustrated with a like a mom with addiction issues. But like, even I was like, this is so inhuman for this mom. Yeah. Well, and like these people exist, but they have more to them. She's just like mean to him every time we see her cartoonishly. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. There's no moments of her being like, "Honey, come here. I'm, you know, I don't mean it. Blah blah blah. I'm so sorry. I love you. Oh, tell me about your day." Like, like no attempt to fucking make up for it that you would think any character that was trying to be something. Well, right. No. And it's again, like you said, it's the lower income character who has this, not Cooper, who has a mom and a dad and a successful bakery in town, and he's a football player. No, it's Brent. Well, and then like. That scene at the end, right, where Cooper's mom or Brent's mom comes in and talks to Cooper's mom, where it feels very like low class, brassy lady making a scene and like Brent's middle to like fucking upper, wasp mom. Yeah, coming in and being like, let's not make a scene, Brenda. Let's go outside and talk about <laughs> this. And shouldn't Come, you be like, I'll get you a cup of coffee because I know you can't get one. Yeah, and it, it just feels very classist. And also, like, it makes me think about, and admittedly, it's been a long time, but, like, I remember, like, how we felt about All Just Glass and how shitty they treated, like, their vampire blood addicts. Yeah. Just, it feels very shitty about addiction. You're right. That is, is another, th- <laughs> yeah, that's another aspect that we keep coming upon is addiction and people who have addictions being treated like cartoons. Yeah, and and very unsympathetically is the point that like strikes me is you know yeah. you go you go to oh I fucking hate it you go to your effort to make slave owners treated <laughs> sympathetically <laughs> but you cannot but like addiction look at this woman who is raising her son who has like a lot of emotional issues because of his fucking superpower who has headaches constantly who has anxiety you couldn't think that maybe this lady has no way of dealing with shit right yeah no you can't you're just going to use her as like something to give brent a headache or something for brent to complain (laughs) about and it's like because he otherwise has nothing in his life right fucking cartoon and even then you feel like she's going to be important but nothing in this book is actually important So it's not even a thing. It's not something Brent has to overcome. It's just something that comes up a couple of times and leads to nothing. Yeah. He neither stands up to her nor asks her to get help. (laughs) Yeah. So like you're just going to create this caricature just to give like texture to Brent's life, except that it's classist and a cartoon. So it, it accomplishes nothing. I'm actually mad about this. Like, fuck off. Alright, I'm done. I'm with you. <laughs> totally with you. I am glad we're not reading All Just Glass again, mm-hmm. but I wish we had had this context when we read it. Yeah, I was gonna listen to it this week and I just didn't get around to it. Yeah, it. it I definitely want to at least re-listen to it before moving on to the next one mm-hmm. because we have reached in this new Den series, this return of, of the Den of Shadows, a lot of mental health and addiction mm-hmm. discussions. And I know that Poison Tree will be dealing with more, like, bad family shit. Mm -hmm. And that will have, you know, Token of Darkness, All Just Glass, leading into Poison Tree. Mm -hmm. That's a a really important 
connection between those books. Yeah. So. Right, so that's pretty much Brent. He has nothing really going for him. Um, so again, we have football player who doesn't want to hang out with anyone anymore because he doesn't want to be pitied. We've got ghost girl who doesn't know who the fuck she is. And we've got, he's not even a goth or an emo. He's nothing. He's just described as normal. We've got telepath boy who doesn't want to be around anyone because when he's near people, it gives him a headache. Yep. Yeah, super interesting characters, right? Um, <laughs> definitely want to know what their life is going to be like. They sound like they've got awesome goals and they're going to go on an adventure, right? <laughs> this exactly. is the kind of party that you want when you are starting your campaign. Exactly. These are exactly the characters I'm so excited when people ever brought to me. <laughs> and I was like, man, Senna, look at all these people. They're going to have a great time together. Because you've got character number four. Delilah. Delilah previously dated Brent. She doesn't date jocks. She doesn't date sporty boys. It doesn't sound or, like she dates anybody. Or girls. Yeah. Like, she the way Cooper girls. described her, she goes on a lot of first dates where if she wants to have a date to a dance or to bring to a party, she basically, like, grabs a plus one. Yeah. <laughs> so she's supposedly in Cooper's friend group. But she's not his friend, and he specifically tells us that because she is the captain of the cheerleading squad and the head of the the set building kids in the theater department. She's very busy. He's never actually been friends with her. So, like, you couldn't have actually had her be his friend? No. It's so weird. She's just in the friend group. And this girl has goals in life. This girl is a classic Den of Shadows protagonist, quite frankly. Yes. Of all of them, for sure. Yeah. And she's, like, the fourth fucking character who's treated, like, as an antagonist for a small chunk of the book. Can we... I looked at reviews, Ollie, and reviews called Delilah unlikable. And you know what? Yeah, she did shitty things, but they were interesting, at least... So like she did things. She did things. She had motivation. She's the only one in this fucking book who had like motivation and like the will to act on it. So like fuck off, book reviewers. You're not wrong that this book is bad, but you're wrong about Delilah specifically. (laughs) You're listening to what the book had to say about her. Right. Like, I don't like to like look outside what the book presents to like interpret it because i feel like it should stand on its own right like we shouldn't have to make up elaborate headcanons to make this fucking thing make sense but delilah extrapolated is i can't say she's my favorite character ever not even in exaggeration (laughs) because this book is boring and i'm gonna forget it in 20 minutes but i like delilah's gumption and yeah She is a classic Den of Shadows protagonist. She's Maeve seducing whatever fucking spirit gave her snake powers. Yeah, Lebin. She's whatever one that Siet fucked. I don't know. You know what I mean, though, right? (laughs) Yeah. She says... I want to be more powerful. Oh, she's 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 fucking Siobhan who was afraid of being mortal and took the first chance she got to become immortal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She is every one of these characters who gets 
mythologized, who gets these legends built around them about, oh, they're, they're self-made men, you know? Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Women. And she tries, but because she fails, she's then treated like a fucking child who should have known better. Where I was rooting for her, even though I knew it wasn't going to work out in her yeah, favor because yeah. I had read the book before. I was rooting for her. I'm like, yeah, no, fucking do it. Fucking get that fucking yeah. water power. Let's go. I make a new kind of witch, Delilah. I'll add it to the wiki. <laughs> I want that in my update. Come on. We were rooting for you, Delilah. And I'm mad that the book is so ready to shame you for doing things that, For like, insisting for wearing clothing and, like, you messaged me about the slut shaming, so I was prepared for it, but I wasn't prepared for, like, how violent Samantha was in slut shaming her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because she, like, looked at Cooper. Right. And, like, Delilah, first of all, doesn't want Cooper, because who would? Cooper is a wet piece of cardboard. Why would she <laughs> want him? Delilah has goals okay they don't involve dating cooper she doesn't need your sad accident boy samantha you can have him you should be worrying about brent Ugh, i don't like samantha and like that's kind of why no i do not like her be like samantha delilah or delilah samantha Samantha. Yeah, yeah 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 delilah never never shames another character for like wearing shorts she's too busy Being a badass sorcerer, Mm -hmm. trying to get magical power. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She doesn't have time for your petty high school bullshit. And Brent calls her a sociopath. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, maybe because this book doesn't really do a lot to develop her. But also, fuck off, Brent. Your powers were just handed to you on the accident express or whatever we don't actually ever find out <laughs> we like, don't know why brent has powers because it doesn't matter he just has them matter. and their utility to the story but like you just got them yeah everybody including her mentor treat her hard-earned powers as less than because yes. she didn't like just suddenly one day have them right the fact that like brent clocks that Ryan, the big sorcerer dude, the mentor, he he correctly clocks that Delilah was upset that Ryan was more interested in his accidental powers than the powers that Delilah has spent like 10 years working towards. Like, yeah, Brent, you identified the fucking problem. Yeah. She's not getting any respect and you are, even though you don't actually want it and didn't (laughs) work for it. And you, dude, showed up on the scene and were the new hotness. Right? And you're going to hold that against her like that's a character flaw of hers? Um, Yeah. No. No, that's Ryan's character flaw. Yeah, which, like, to be fair, is, like, Ryan is an asshole and everybody's Mm -hmm. pretty upfront about that. But for Brent to, like, fault Delilah for being offended by that, eat shit, Brent, okay? No, absolutely. Everyone in this book treats Delilah like a monster Mm -hmm. just because she wants power this this makes no sense to me this girl should have walked out of this book super fucking powerful or even momentarily super powerful she should have gotten the power that she wanted and maybe had it be too much and then they had to figure out how to like take it away again and for her to be like oh my god it was too much you know like but i still would have hated that for her Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because like again everybody else gets to be mythologized Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like the author went into this being like, I'm going to make a football player and a cheerleader and there's going to be magic and she's going to be a witch who wants to join the Church of Satan. It's going to be great. (laughs) Except that you treat her like shit. You're not subverting anything. No. Like, I don't want to misrepresent this book because even though I hated it, I want to be like fair and accurate. Right. That's why I made my (laughs) stream board. But (laughs) I think that the book is trying to walk the line with Delilah, I think that they're sort of trying to be fair-ish to her because, like, I don't think that Delilah comes off poorly in her own chapters. Like, I think her chapters are fairly accurately representing, like, who she is. I don't think that the narrative condemns her in her own chapters. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. But- But in everybody else's. Yeah, I think that that can be true, while simultaneously the fact that all of the other characters dump on her in their chapters combine to override the narrative neutrality in Delilah's chapters. So, like, even if the book was theoretically not trying to paint Delilah as a power-hungry, sociopathic slut bitch... (laughs) The fact that all of the other characters kind of land there makes that not matter a whole lot. Absolutely. Because especially if you're now being prepped to like, supposedly, even though the book doesn't do a good job of it, but to like Cooper and Brent. And Brent is telling you, Delilah's a sociopath. I broke up with her. She didn't break up with me. She was mad because I had power and it was just natural, I guess. But Cooper is like, eh, she was around, but she wasn't really my friend, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. Like, you've got one person who dated her, one who kind of knows her vaguely. It doesn't matter what her chapters say. You're predisposed to listen to the misogyny. Yeah, and the fact that Brent's entire motivation to get involved in this plot is specifically centered on delilah and his feelings about oh my god what if delilah gets her claws into cooper yeah (laughs) that's the only reason he gets involved yeah and and you know ryan's like overall disdain for delilah it just primes you to see her the way that they do and it's very frustrating because like delilah has clearly had to put up with a lot of fucking misogynistic shit from ryan and brent and like she should be the fucking hero of this book no i agree i would have loved to have seen this book from her perspective like her and cooper would work Mm -hmm. for me because like he is the one with the mystery but if she had actually been his friend and like finally ran into him you know and for her to be like ever able to tell us about who cooper was Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and missing him and then meeting this new kid. <laughs> I mean, like, this is not the one I was expecting. Oh, he said something that the old Cooper wouldn't have said. The old Cooper would have said that way. Like, anything. Anything. But yeah, she should have been the hero. Yeah. Like, even if you framed Delilah as arrogant, maybe, and reckless. Sure. That's, that's fine. That's a character flaw that somebody can have, and it's fine and not misogynistic for a woman to have that flaw. But, yeah. like, when you when you have, like, the rest of the men who are protagonists in this book, like, sort of agreeing with that character flaw, 
And then the only other girl immediately, like, yelling, even though she can't see her, you know, put on some clothes. <sighs> it, it does not paint the book well. No. no and it, it makes less nuanced readers go, yeah, fuck her and her sexuality that she's flaunting, even though she never dates anyone. No, she doesn't. And she doesn't want to fuck Cooper, which I know why it's there, because we have to, like, hint at romantic tension between Cooper and Samantha somehow, but it's so poorly handled. Yeah, I would say that uh, we don't have to do it in that way. No. I mean, you could just, like, write them having chemistry. Right? You could just make him also feel like, wow, I wish that this girl was real because we get along so well. But they don't. Right at the beginning, he's, like, irritated that she's always around and she was always trying to talk to him. He's not like, whoever this girl was, I'm so sad she's dead because I could see myself having met her and, you know, wanted to take her out on some nice dates. And she calls him boring. She tells Brett the first time they talk, Cooper is boring. Everyone in this narrative is like, Cooper's not the smartest. (laughs) She's like, I don't want to hang out with just Cooper because he doesn't have a lot going on. Like, are you infatuated with him or not? Yeah. Is it just because he's been there for you? Are we trauma bonding again? (laughs) I think think the book is trying to imply trauma bonding, but even that... Can't even go... Is fucked up. Can't even stick that landing. No, because, like, Samantha is so upfront with Brent about how much she dislikes being tied to Cooper. And I'm like, but this book is going to end with the two of you pledging to go on, like, a date. So what the fuck? (laughs) It's ridiculous. They should be absolutely obsessed with each other. Instead, they're like an old married couple who are like, please go somewhere else, anywhere else, (laughs) for five minutes. Thank you. Right? And, like... There are other books that do ghost romance, and, like, it's not a thing that you can't do. I think if she had just been a ghost, that would have helped, because then she would have known who she was, and it would have been a who-murdered-me mystery, which is just way simpler. Yeah, the this book, yet again, is sandbagged by being a Den of Shadows book. (laughs) Yeah. And that's definitely one of those things I chatted about before, where it's like, some of these books could be better if they weren't trying to fit within Amy's world. (laughs) Oh, and also this one goes out of its way to tell us ghosts don't exist, human ghosts don't exist. When the first fucking book in The Forest of the Night was like, I live across the street from a graveyard and sometimes I see the ghosts there. And it's like, what is is Rasika seeing? (laughs) Listen, that was like 20 years ago, okay? I wrote this book in 2007. There are no ghosts now. (laughs) <laughs> but the, but we know how hard this author will go to, like, keep within the canon that they made when they were 15. And yet, Ollie, their first two books have a character being killed at specifically different times and they didn't notice. So maybe they're just <laughs> not all that attentive. Yeah, it's... This book is, this book sucks. This book sucks. Anyway, are we going to talk about the plot at all? Like, does it, who cares? All right. Well, now that I've described who all the characters are and that Delilah should have been the main one, let's see. We get a brief recap of the accident. We get Samantha introduced and talking to Cooper and all of his annoyance. He goes to school He has a friend from the football team try to talk to him. His name is John, so, you know, he's not important. (laughs) He sees Delilah, and Samantha thinks that Delilah might be able to hear her. 
He's like, this is weird. I'm going to not go back to school. I'm going to just go to the library and research shit for Samantha because she asked about necromantic golems. That's when he meets, meets Brent. Brent indulges him because, as we know, he's a telepath. And so he's heard of weird shit. And he knows this guy named Ryan LaCour, who he may, you know, hang out with. Whatever. Anyway, they hang out at the library, but then Cooper somehow does something that makes Brent able to see Samantha for two seconds and also the weird grief shadows. But Cooper's like, I gotta go! Samantha chases after Brent, visits him in a dream, encourages him to go meet Cooper at the coffee shop the next morning. One thing I will say is that I never had any timeline problems with this one. I did. Everything was very clearly like, and now it is this day, and now it is this day. But it did all still happen over the course of like, Wednesday through Sunday, so yet another. They're also just bad at passing time. Like, there was a chapter where, like, an entire night passes, but, like, it happens over the course of, like, two pages, maybe. So, like, Mm -hmm. characters leave, characters talk, hours pass, but it's only a couple of paragraphs. The characters talk again. A character comes back and it's like, this is just milling the clock. Yeah. You're just like, well, I've got to, I've got to kill some time here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I can't have all of this stuff happen on the same day. (laughs) They're not going to instantly trust each other. So this character is going to do nothing uh, and it's going to feel entirely pointless, but I have to. Because it is. Because time is what makes things feel real. (laughs) Well, because another character is doing something at a specific time, we need to know that specific time. So therefore, I have to get this dude through the night. I guess he can do his homework. Right. And I can't just say it's the next day. Yeah. Can't just say this happened. Right. So Samantha convinces Brent to show up the next morning. She goes back to Cooper and is like super excited. We get, like, a chapter from Delilah's perspective, where, again, nothing happens. We just learn a bit about her history, and that she wants to figure out something weird is attached to Cooper, and her thought is, well, if I didn't already know him beforehand, I would think you got messed up in weird magic, so that's on you, but I did know him before. And again, this would have been really useful if they'd actually been friends, as opposed to in the same friend group. In the same friend group and specifically not friends. Yeah. And like, I've had friend groups where it was like that, where it's like, yeah, this person shows up to the parties, but I don't know them. But I wouldn't be able to be like, oh, but I knew this person enough to know that this is weird of them. No, because obviously I didn't fucking know them. Yep. So anyway, uh, let's see. Brent and... Cooper talk, dad wingmans, and is like, yay, a friend. I wish this was that book. If his dad really was super cool and was just like, oh, there's a new boy here who's interested in you. Go ahead, take the rest of the morning off. I can open up the shop. You go have a coffee meet cute with your your friend. Right? If Cooper was like, known to be bi. Yeah, right? If he had, like, come out freshman year and he was still a football player on the football team and dad was like, is that a boy? (laughs) Is he, like, a boy boy? Or just like, well, because, like, I've never seen him before. He's not from your friend group. Is he a boy? Be like, dad! 
Yeah, like, God, if this book had that amount of character, holy shit. Yeah, oh my god. Like, just make openly bisexual football player boy your main character and dad trying to wingman this new boy at him. And Cooper actually potentially being like, well, he's not not my type. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, awkward ally dad, I'm really here for it. (laughs) Dad, I'm bi. Hi, bi, I'm dad. (laughs) (laughs) It's good stuff, but it's, let me tell you, it's not this book. Right, but no homo, zero homo. We made this character a boy so that, you know, so there, that wouldn't there would be, be any no sexuality. Homo. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously. Cooper Samantha OTP. Yeah, and if two boys hang out together, you can't assume that that's a romantic relationship. <laughs> obviously. Look, and after watching Our Flag Means Death, I'm even more mad about people just being bros. <laughs> It's just so frustrating that that's like the specific reason that they they swapped genders. And it's like, yes, listen, hate to break it to you, still feels gay. Like, still have any chemistry to speak of, which is to say, one small drop. Yeah. Which is more than the zero that that he has with Samantha. That's the worst part. You can't even say, oh, they would make a much better couple. Because, like, there's still very little chemistry. They still have nothing in common. Yeah, I don't know. And the the narrative also goes out of its way to tell you that that that, they have not a lot in common. Where at some point Cooper's like, even if I hadn't, you know, been at a different school, because it says him and his buddy John were thinking about going to the tech. Mm -hmm. Even if he had ended up at the tech, he still wouldn't have been friends with this dude for many reasons. Like, what the fuck? Right. And that's a shitty line that he says when he finds all of Brent's pills in the glove compartment. And it's like, yeah, I know what you fucking mean by that, Cooper. I know what you mean, author. (laughs) (laughs) Staring. (laughs) We're now 75 pages in. No, go faster. Nothing happens. I know, but I told, I'm telling you this because nothing has happened in what I have just said. Okay. Right. So now that he's here, he does a little demonstration of his ability to read Cooper's mind. It's all very specific because he's trying to convince him to come meet Ryan, um, who can maybe help him. I do think it's interesting that dad is in the back humming something from Fiddler on the Roof, which you saw together years ago. So it's like Cooper has musical theater in his background. Mm -hmm. Like... Like, I can just insert this here. <laughs> make, make him intri- interested in Delilah as a friend friend because he loves going to the musicals. Yeah. So he drops Cooper off and then at like three in the morning calls. What? Oh, no, wait, he doesn't call. Never mind. Sorry. Mom meets Brent. And mom is like surprised and excited that there's a friend who is a boy. Yeah, this is the chapter that I was talking about where like he right, leaves. Right, right. Then... So we could have had another moment of mom being like a boy who is a friend, huh? He's literally come to your house and I've never met him before. All right. So the the section that you're talking about where like she meets him at the tail end of a long night that the two of them have together because Cooper can't sleep. Uh, in the middle of the night, he gets up and talks to his mom, who also can't sleep. And they have yes. a brief conversation, which which feels like it's it could be something. And then it leads into this stunning paragraph. That's like 50 pages from now, by the way. Is it? Are we in the, yeah. the different place? Because I thought we were talking about the same thing. No, we were not. This is when mom first meets Brent after 
he like drops him off there or stops by or something. Yeah, I thought that's what we were talking about. No. What were you talking about? This is when he gets there in the morning? Yeah. No, all right, hold on. I was right. He does get a phone call. (laughs) He gets a phone call. It's like ass o'clock in the morning. He picks up and he says, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. It's Brent calling. Never mind. It's nothing that matters. He calls Ryan to make sure that he can go. And there's this character who, like, recognizes him. But we don't even get pronouns on this character. This character doesn't matter. The only reason this character is here is so... Brent doesn't have a conversation with Ryan before we as the audience gets to meet get to meet him. It felt like a stealth cameo, right? Like Yeah, it was like who who is it? Who's it gonna be? Yeah, but then it it never comes up. So I feel like maybe it was a stealth cameo in like the author's mind. Maybe. It just it, it seemed like it was gonna be somebody. It wasn't anybody. It didn't matter. They didn't even get a fucking pronoun. At some point around here was when I was thinking, because I think he Brent talked about certain stuff where it's like, oh, I wonder if Brent was in the same place as uh, the previous characters. And so to, to hear what you'd said earlier about how Brent was supposed to have been in Persistence of Memory, mm-hmm. it's like, yep, of course, everyone went to the same fucking, <laughs> you know, hospital. Yeah. Yeah, we meet Ryan before that mom conversation. Mm-hmm. So we get to Ryan's and Delilah opens the door for some fucking reason. And we meet Ryan, and he's basically a cis white douchebag. I hate Ryan. We are repeatedly told that he looks like he could be in college, but yet all of this stuff and responsibility. And I'm like, is he immortal? What the fuck is happening? Is he 26? Is he 30? Like, I was expecting to hear that he was actually 75 or something <laughs> and immortal. I wish. I wish, because, like, the feel of this is just, like, oh, He's a mature adult, but he's only 25 years old. Yeah. And I'm like, fucking make him 30, okay? He's not going to wither and die. (laughs) Exactly. We're like, okay. Just make him your Merlin. Make him 50. Who fucking cares? I feel like there's a lot of dedication to making sure that we all know that Ryan is theoretically maybe still fuckable. Right? If you're into that kind of douchebag. All right. So Ryan, who all we know is a douchebag, and he has this house that's a fucking TARDIS because it's bigger on the inside. And Ryan is just a dick, but eventually decides that he trusts that Cooper does have this stuff going on. And Samantha is definitely not what he thinks she is. And they just have like pages and pages of dialogue going back and forth. But meanwhile, outside, the only interesting thing that happens here is that Samantha and Delilah talk because Delilah like found a way to shield herself. And she sees Samantha as kind of horrifying beast thing. Like, not beast, but like something supernatural where Cooper sees her as a teenage girl. There's like descriptions of her voice having like a different quality mm-hmm. to it. Her voice was haunting and powerful, like the bone deep quiver left behind by a roll of thunder. Surely this wasn't how Cooper perceived the creature or he would have run away long ago. Like, so we're seeing that Delilah is seeing through her mask that she doesn't even know she has up. Mm-hmm. And Delilah convinces Samantha that she can she can help her if she will go to a secondary location, which she does. <laughs> Never go to a secondary location. It's always <laughs> Never go to a secondary location. <laughs> so they're still fucking arguing inside about if Ryan will help Samantha, and he's a dick, and this just keeps fucking going on. Oh my god. There's three fucking chapters of this bullshit. All right. So they decide they're going to go check out the car wash. 
after all, which I guess that was a thing that John invited Cooper to, and Samantha wasn't outside, so Cooper was like, maybe she- Oh, no, Cooper says- This was something I was confused by. Cooper says that Samantha told him she was gonna follow Delilah. Mm -hmm. When and how? You were in the room inside the TARDIS. (laughs) She never told you shit. This was one of those big ones where I'm like, your your editor and your beta readers didn't get this one. I assumed- There was some sort of interim scene. Except that all of the conversations just continued where they were. And Brent was surprised that she wasn't there. And Cooper says, she told me this. So if they had talked, he would already know this. Right? Calling it out. All right. So anyway, they go to (laughs) the football team doing a car wash, raising charity money. Delilah and Samantha are not there. Cooper's friends are excited to see him, but one of them, like, slaps him on the back too hard and it, like, jostles his, you know, fucking bones that are still healing. And he actually accepts a ride home from Brent. This is important because he's not been in a car since the accident, minus the, like, ride home when he was pretty out of it. Then we get Delilah tries to make herself a vampire. No, tries to make herself a powerful uh, sorcerer attached to an elemental. This is how new lines start in this world. It's not discussed. This is all meta information that you and I know about. Yeah. I would like to point out that Jashika was attached to another elemental as well. So everyone from her line also has a bit of whatever elemental power that Jessica has. So like, this is a thing that can fucking happen. Elementals will make deals and bind themselves to people on a fucking whim in this world. And yet we don't get that here. We learn that Samantha is some kind of water elemental because fire goes out around her can we also just pause to acknowledge that if you're not balls deep in the den of shadows and the mythology behind it as in like we have very rarely talked about elementals i think maybe the only time they've really talked about it was in the kiyashara yeah this is the first time in the modern den it was brought up Even Levin wasn't really described as an elemental. He was just, like, a powerful being. So, if you're just a fucking regular... You just pick up this book. Yeah, like, if you're just a person who picks up this book to read a cool paranormal book, and you get to the part where they start talking about elementals, like, it's gotta feel fucking bonkers, right? Like, this is where it's gotta start for the normies, where they're like, what the fuck is this book? Because we just start talking about, like... Oh, there are elementals, and they're like you can bind <laughs> I this their was a spirits, ghost book. right? And you're like, I've literally this is based on nothing. I've never heard of anything like this before. Could you maybe pause to not just drop all of this shit on me <laughs> in one chapter, and like maybe seed what's going on here for people no. who do not haunt your throughout fucking the rest wiki? of the book? Yeah, come on. Looking at the front where they list the like what it what it is under the like description of the book it lists traffic accidents as the first one <laughs> ghosts as the second one so, so this is listed as a ghost book and it's fucking not it's it's so not and it goes out of its way to tell you that it's not and to like shame you for thinking that it was <laughs> How dare? ghosts don't exist you idiot literally it's an Ryan elemental constantly. like <sighs> God. It's, it's an elemental. You know that thing that you know about and have heard of and doesn't just exist in one wiki entry on my website? Yep. 
So we cut away from there to Brent dropping Cooper off in his car, and then it is the fucking night that never ends, even though it says, like, he tried to get to sleep, but he couldn't, and then he's, like, awake at 10.30 at night, and it's like, dude, wouldn't you have gone to bed at, like, 10.30 at night? (laughs) Whatever. Then we get the stuff with the mom, where he comes downstairs, and it's page 144, the mother talk. Do you want to talk about that now? Oh, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, this chapter's just emblematic, right? Like, we're looking at the notes for what the books should be. So, he has this conversation with his mom where, like, they almost have a character moment and <laughs> bond briefly over the fact that, like, the dad is, like, sick and Cooper's like, oh, what if it's my fault because of my fucking emotion gremlins? And then they sit down to have a, a round of go fish and, like, again with, like, the Aaron stuff where it's like, I'm here for the mental health recovery story. Like, yeah, I'm here for this scene where this boy plays go fish with his mom and they talk about their emotions. But then the book just devolves into, and I quote, the conversation was stunted at first, but at least they were talking for the first time in a long time. They started on neutral topics. Tanya, take this down. They start on neutral (laughs) topics, like how his classes and her job at the bank were going. But as the night wore on, they ended up speaking about the accident and everything that had happened since. Uh, Diane, uh, note to self, we'll add this scene later. I'm entering the town of Twin Peaks. (laughs) They talked about the hours she had spent in the hospital, wondering if he would survive and knowing from the doctor's expressions that none of them thought he would. Gee, that sounds like a harrowing conversation that you should have. Right? Without mentioning the way they had transitioned into real life, he told her in halted phrases about his nightmares. You know, this burden he's been carrying (laughs) for this entire book he's sharing with his mother. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to cover it in one paragraph. It's more important that we have the full fucking argument with Ryan for three (laughs) chapters. (laughs) Almost painfully, he finally described how mentally and physically exhausting the early sessions with his physical therapist had been back in the days when it seemed like recovery might hurt more than it was worth. They have this whole scene that lasts the entire night that sounds like emotionally moving for both of them, and we don't fucking see it. Yep. This is how it goes. Like, so many times with this author's books, we'll get everyone's fucking dreams and flashbacks, but any actual emotional conversations and scenes don't exist. We'll get people's monologues, but we can't have actual conversation. We can't have actual emotions. It has to be this. It has to be two paragraphs of telling. And there's there's some interesting phrases in here where you're like, okay, I see the emotions you want me to feel, but I would have liked to have earned those myself. Yeah, like you can't just tell me that Cooper and his mom have like this heart-wrenching emotional talk. No, that I don't walk away from that scene because it it's not a scene. No feeling like Cooper just spent the night really fucking talking about shit because it also then doesn't matter. 
the book itself completely forgets that and it's right back into the present. Those two paragraphs are like, here's what happened so we can move on. Ugh. Yep. And then Brent shows up. Even though he just left two pages ago. Yeah, let's see. He leaves on like the very, very bottom of page 140. And he is back at the very, very bottom of page 144. <laughs> like the last paragraph or so uh of this one four pages later no i'm sorry three pages later it's ridiculous so before they can head out to ryan's cooper gets a phone call from john for some unfucking explainable reason to tell him that delilah is in the hospital now again cooper is not friends with delilah this phone tree john is not described as being friends (laughs) with delilah on the phone tree all the who who's told anybody to begin with who contacted anyone delilah's parents aren't at the fucking hospital when we get there does delilah have parents i genuinely we never hear about them so like this was just wild to me oh wait no we do because we hear about how her mom is super strict oh okay right so somehow this is happening and it's ass early in the morning and they call him and tell him this. It just, it feels very weird to me. Like, I do believe that John would be the one to call and tell him. Mm-hmm. But I just express my disbelief that in this, the year 2010, when kids don't yet have cell phones where they can have, like, a fucking group chat, that anyone would care to tell any of her friends before the parents knew what the fuck was going on. It feels like the sort of thing you tell somebody at school the next day. Like, hey, did you hear about what happened to Delilah? Right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's Saturday. Or no, it's Sunday. So like half of them are probably going to church and then going to the the football game party. So like this seems like the kind of thing where it's like Delilah's parents go to church to pray for their daughter and like talk to John's mom and they find out about it, you know, at 11 o'clock in the goddamn morning when he's already over Ryan's. At which point he wouldn't have any way to connect to him. And yet also we're told later that Brent has a cell phone, but we never fucking see them using their cell phones. Like, I don't know. All right. So they decide instead of going to Ryan's, they're going to go to the hospital. And Brent is going to drive the car to get them there. And Cooper will get in a car and go down the highway that he hasn't been on since the accident. Cooper is freaking out. And Cooper's like, pull over. And it's literally the same spot. Like, he doesn't pull over near he doesn't pull over after he pulls over in such a way that they stop right at the guardrail where cooper had slammed into it he sees two two little white crosses he sees the crosses like yeah that symbolize the two people who died in this accident one was a celebrity who we don't even get named not even a fucking fake name why is that a statement that is in the book it never matters I, I know I messaged you being like, we got fucking Fisk Falchion's name in, <laughs> you know, Snake Charm, and he never fucking came back. And it, and Tadeo, he never came back. But you've got a celebrity and the kids don't think their name. This is the fucking thing. This is why this feels like a first draft. Like, early on in the book, while Delilah is researching Cooper's accident, like, oh, I can't find any information because most of the articles focus on the celebrity who was involved in the crash. Like, that feels like a big thing, and yet we never talk about it again. 
And it's like, is it important? No. Then it's a distraction. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> yep. It is unnecessary. We do not need it. It just makes it confusing. It's wild. It's wild. Take it out. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Right. So then we cut to Delilah, who's in the hospital, and she gets some memories from somebody who'd been in a fire. And she wakes up and is like, ah, leave me alone. And Ryan is already there. But he's there because it's not Delilah's room. It's Margaret's room. Old lady names. So many fucking old lady names. (laughs) He immediately just, like, like, lits into her. It's like, you're not her fucking dad. You're barely her fucking mentor. (laughs) And the fucking dialogue here is terrible. And there's just info dumps that we could have gotten when we were talking to Ryan for three chapters. But no, we're going to get it now on page 157 out of 198, I think. 197. Yeah. 40 pages before the end of the book. This is so important. Like, I need folks who are listening to fucking, like, pause and think about, like, the way that a book is supposed to work. And note that on page, what, Ollie? 157 of 197. 157 out of 197, literally 40 pages before the end of the book, is the first time that we're going to hear about a character who is pivotal to the mystery that this book has ostensibly been centered around, which is who the fuck is Samantha? Yeah. And this is the first time we're hearing about her on page 159 out of one out of, I don't even know because yeah. I'm drunk, but you've heard it already. <laughs> Margaret doesn't get fucking named until this fucking chapter, until 40 pages before the end. And I want to emphasize, this is one of the things that made me buy this fucking book. Was I was like, there's no way that they never mentioned this character or this incident before this, this fire. Page. Yeah. So I bought this book. I searched it on Kindle. I'm like, did they ever mention a fire? Did they ever mention Margaret? They didn't. For an entire 200, however many pages this book is, they did not mention this pivotal character or her backstory or her event that happened that created this ghost. Until 40 pages before the end of this book. That's fucking bonkers. Mm -hmm. And the weird part to me is that the timeline we end up getting is that Cooper's incident happened at the after school had been out. Kids were starting to get their, their jobs, which means it's either late June or early July. It's told to us that Margaret had her fire in May and was found two weeks later by hikers. Because she somehow still survived because she, like, took enough power that her body stayed together. Like, your timeline is off so that Ryan didn't immediately think it had anything to do with her. And yet we're also told that Ryan recognizes Samantha, like, physically, and probably the name. Because Margaret is one of Ryan's students, who Delilah would have also have heard of, who Brent would also have heard of. Like, if you're- if one of your your fellow students- tries to raise power and bind an elemental and you have Ryan as your fucking dickbag mentor (laughs) he's gonna tell you about it that's such a good point like Ryan would absolutely rub that in their faces 
yeah, this is what happen when you, happens when you don't listen to what I tell you because we're dealing with powerful, dangerous shit. Look at what happened to Margaret's family. She killed them by accident trying to, I guess, in her fucking house, raise a fire elemental so she could bind it and she could become powerful instead of doing it somewhere else. Like, why would you fucking do this, Margaret? First off, Ryan, you're bad at teaching people. Second, <laughs> why wouldn't you tell these people these things? And to be like, yeah, no, her body's still there. I'm paying the fucking medical bills until they give me full permission because all of her next of kin are gone because I guess she only had this family. There's no other relatives possible. None. So now it's his his problem. He's just dealing with this, this lifeless husk because we're told there's nothing of Margaret left except somehow when Delilah goes into her body and, you know, gets pushed out of her own body by Samantha and whatnot. We're told that, like, she's picking up Margaret's memories. So, if is Margaret gone or is Margaret here? Like, how are her memories still here? Does the body remember? Like, what what is happening? There's a lot of weird body stuff in this because, like, there's a point later at which Brent gets transported out of his body. And somehow his body has his psychic powers and not his but mind. But not him. Yeah. Is that is that where is that where your power lives? Is in the body? Is it stored in your literal meat suit? Because that seems counterintuitive at the very least, right? Like, how can you astral project or something? As soon as you leave your body, you would be unable to do anything. The operative point is that there's so much of this that feels like it exists purely to facilitate this plot. As opposed to an organic thing that makes sense in the world. Well, this is the same problem we ran into last time with Persistence of Memory, the previous book. Mm -hmm. Where it was like, well, it could be this or this or this or this. Oh, look, it was none of that. It was this (laughs) bullshit thing that came out of nowhere that's never happened before. Well, you know, I've never seen any of those four examples that you gave me in these books that sounded more reasonable. Why did we have to do the thing that's literally never happened in this world before? Same same question here. This has not happened before. Why couldn't it have just been one of the, like, two or three other reasonable-sounding options? It's just, this one is so egregious about it, because there are so many opportunities where you could have seeded stuff. We could have heard about Margaret from Delilah or Brent or Ryan. We could have heard about the accident in the places where I thought we heard about it when I was Googling this fucking book. like. There are parts where Delilah and Cooper and Brent, like, look into the accident. They all could have seen, like, oh, a fire happened at that point. None of them do. You could have seeded all of this. Yes, I agree with you. They could have seeded Margaret existing multiple times. They could have seeded even that the fire happened and him say, wow, that time, huh? Well, there was a fire. Not far away, because as we know, Margaret ran from her house through the woods, vaulted over the uh, the guardrail there, and got hit by Cooper's car. Like, yeah, the body wasn't there because she crawled into the woods and was found, you know, two weeks later. But like, Brent being like, so, funny thing, I knew this girl. And she she died, um, and her house burned down, not far from where that accident was. Mm-hmm. Maybe it has something to do with that. And I know at one point you told me that she was trying days later to get her sister's soul, but it honestly, when I read through it, it sounded like it all happened like much closer. So even if 
Well, granted, like, you know, two days is not that long. But even if her house burned down two days before, narratively speaking, she could have burned down the house and been sad and trying to, like, get her sister's soul back at that exact moment had these two things happen on the same night and Cooper have already looked into it. But, like, wouldn't Samantha's death have come up on his radar anyway? She looks like Margaret's sister, Samantha. Oh my god, I didn't even think of that. And they were saying they were looking for, like, anyone who had died in the area. She literally lived in the area. Alright, 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 alright. Before we get into the fucking rat's nest of plot holes that the last four chapters bring up, let's just, let's just run through it real quick, right? Okay, Mm -hmm, so like, mm -hmm. they go to the hospital because Delilah tries to bind Samantha. The water elemental. Yeah, a water elemental to make herself immortal or whatever. And it it doesn't work. She We don't know. We've been told no one's done it. We also don't fucking see it. Another problem with this book, like wild shit happens and we either don't see it or we pick up with the character after they wake up after having passed out. Or we have someone be a TV for no reason. Great. Love it. Definitely the way I want to experience this book. So we're told that Delilah almost drowned. They go to the hospital to talk to her, but they find out that Delilah is in Margaret's body, Ryan's secret student who was actually the key to everything, because she lost connection with her body, question mark. Like, there's not even a good reason for it. No, and it's stuff that, like, we were told briefly about in Persistence of Memory about, like, human's power and blah 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 like bullshit so like she's not in her body so they're like okay well who is in her body oh my god is samantha in her body but before they can do that samantha like comes back in her ghost form but now everyone can see her convenient she talks to ryan and cooper suggests Because we do backflips to explain that Margaret is just a meat suit. Her mind is gone. Don't worry about it. Her mind's definitely gone. It's an empty apartment. Yeah, ethical, really. Recycling, good for the planet. So (laughs) Cooper says, Samantha, I have this available body for rent. (laughs) You can fit so many Samanthas in this. (laughs) Spacious. 2,000 square feet. He's like, hey, can I invite you to live in this girl's body? And Samantha flips her shit. She's like, no, she shouldn't even be alive. Like, she gets really freaked out. And they're like, oh, shit, what are we going to do? And Ryan doesn't say you look like her sister at this point either. No, he doesn't. Maybe Ryan Doesn't offer any fucking information. Maybe Ryan's never seen her sister. I don't fucking know, man. That's I feel like that's the answer we would get if we asked. Bullshit. They also concoct this wild plan. They're like, uh, Cooper, we need to get Delilah back into her body. You have the very specific power that you've only used once to knock Mm -hmm. people out of their bodies. So we're going to use your very specific situational power that we've only mentioned (laughs) once to knock Delilah out of her body. And then hope she finds hers. Yeah, fingers crossed. So she starts flipping out and Brent uses Cooper's power somehow. How? How? He just touches him and like channels his power and uses it to do a Scooby-Doo body scramble on everybody. (laughs) 
it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not because like if you ask me I'll write you a five-page essay about how it actually makes sense by the rules of the world so no worries trust me so Cooper passes out and he wakes up and the action is over with yep uh, and his mom has been called, so, like, question mark how long it's even fucking been. And she's like, only a couple hours, but you were resting naturally. Okay, so a couple of hours. Again, we have this weird thing where they're trying to, like, give you the sense that a lot more time has passed, so that when characters disappear and then reappear chapters later, it doesn't feel weird. But guess what? It still feels weird. Right, it could have just been like he passed out and then he wakes up as they're like trying to like help him out or something but no we have to be past all that he needs to be okay or he could have just passed out and ryan used his fucking mind powers to make the nurses go away because it was a magical issue to deal with genuinely like there's there's a lull period here where hours pass and characters don't do anything and it's like if this is a climax just make it all part of the same scene Yeah, just make that scene that just happened, smush it all together. I know you're trying to hit 50k here, but like... (laughs) It really is, because this lull period diffuses the tension like mad. Yep. It doesn't feel like a problem. So Cooper wakes up, he's like, hey, what happened? And outside, they hear Brent's cartoon mom getting upset with him. And then... Cooper's mom goes out to be like the good high class mom and take care of the situation. And then Brent comes in and is acting weird, which Cooper clocks immediately. And he gets like too touchy feely with Cooper. And Cooper's like, uh, first of all, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo. <laughs> Literally says I don't swing that way. And he's super like aggressive about it. <laughs> In a yeah. weird way. It's not just like, whoa, like, I respect that you maybe, maybe feel, feel that way, way towards me. me, but... We just met. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, ugh, dude, get off me. What? Gross. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Are you hitting on me? And then he, like, moves in to kiss, and he's like, back off. Yeah. I don't swing that way. Got it? Oh, so I love the way Samantha plays this, right? Because yeah. obviously, Samantha got knocked into Brent's body, right? And she just laughs. And she's like, tee hee hee, I'm going to walk away and not explain the situation to you. Like, just fucking say it. Right? The dude I ostensibly have feelings for. I'm not going to explain it to you. And she goes to walk away. And, like, Cooper clocks that she's doing her fucking trademark Samantha hip swing. And he's like, oh, my God, it's Samantha in Brent's body. Like, if you're a girl who hasn't had a body, and here's this boy that you like, and the first thing you want to do is use this body to try to kiss this boy, you're you're evil. This is not your body. <laughs> um, This body didn't consent to that. Also, if he does kiss Brent back, now, now you're going to think that he likes Brent, not mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what were you trying to do here? You should have been like, oh good, now that she's gone, hi, I'm Samantha, lunge. Yeah, they really... In in this scene and then in the last page of the book, play it up like Samantha just being a real fucking stinker instead of, like, playing real fast and loose with, like, consent, yeah. you know? So it reminds me of book one in Forbidden Game when when he's wearing Zack's face. 
the kiss that we shall not speak of. Yeah, I want that scene here instead, where it's, come on, Cooper, I like you so much. Doesn't this feel right to you? And him being like, I don't know why this feels right, but it does. But but no, I just met you. You're my friend. I don't know if I feel that way. Could I feel that way about you? Like, this is the time you can do that. Let Cooper question his sexuality. And then have Samantha be like, oh my god, I can't believe you kissed Brent. Do you like him? And then be like, what? Samantha? Yeah. In- instead, they just bypass everything. It might as well be fucking Bugs Bunny for the amount right? of weight that they give to what Samantha has done, which is fucking sexual assault, basically. Like, yeah. He doesn't say, it's not okay because you're that's not your body. He just says, you're a chick and a dude who's hitting on me, which is creepy enough. That's not just some random body. It's already taken. You're so close, Cooper. <laughs> but you're so far away. Yep. But- Hey, no penis and vagina, so it doesn't count. As we know from the Serpiente. I hate it so much. So, tee-hee-hee, lol, Samantha is in Brent's body, and she fucking skips off to Cooper's protest. He's like, hey, hey man, like, but that's, that's, that's my friend- that's my friend. He lives in that. You're going to go, oh, she's gone. Okay. All right. Well, I probably could have handled that better, but I chose not to. And I love that they at the end here where it's like Ryan, uh, Cooper hopes that like Ryan or Delilah would be able to help, but he remembered how easily Samantha had knocked Ryan down at the start. And it's like, oh, great. Way to just disarm everyone in your party. <laughs> this should be a problem and it's not a problem. This elemental has a teenage boy's body. And this is just never actually a problem. No, it's not. Like this, <laughs> this is like- Spider Man Three. I'm just her just dancing around, finger guns everywhere. Genuinely, like this is something that people build the conflict of whole movies and books around, and yet here it's so inconsequential. Nobody actually the fucking cares. body thief by hand rice. That's the whole fucking thing. So we the next chapter is in Brent's point of view. Brent is like, oh shit, I got tits. <laughs> Except he doesn't. He's just in a girl's body. No. He realizes that he was shunted into Margaret's body. Yeah. And he cares remarkably little. It's just like he put on the wrong shoes when he got up this morning. Right. The only thing he mentions is that it feels strange because he can't read anyone's thoughts. Right. He's like, oh, it's finally quiet that's and he doesn't like it and he asks for like a radio or the tv to be put on and that could be fucking something the idea that like this kid has spent his entire life having people's thoughts broadcasted into him and now that he doesn't it's uncomfortable like that's a character thing that you could explore but we don't no also margaret just for those following along at home um she's paralyzed it's a low break on her spine so he can't just get up and go look No. Because that would be, you know, too convenient. There's a moment where one character almost says ass and they get cut off. And I'm just like, really? (laughs) We're cool stealing people's meat suits, but don't say a cuss word. Yep. None of that shit. So Delilah comes in because she has been put back into her own body. Sure. Okay. That actually worked. Fine. She says, yeah, Ryan... The fucking big power hitter of this entire book, right? Like, the dude who's like, we're supposed to take your opinion seriously. hmm Says, hey, kids, 
when you figure out what you want to do, let me know. Until then, I'm going to peace out. And it's like, does he not see this as a problem? Right? This is the last, like, three chapters of your book. This is supposed to be where shit goes into overdrive and, like, stakes and tension and conflict. And instead, you have, like, the power character of this book saying, this is a dispute between children that I'm not going to deign to involve myself in. Like, this means nothing. I would have preferred Brent wake up in Ryan's body. <laughs> and Ryan wake up in Margaret's body. Just do a full fucking body swap around where everything's messed up. And Brent is in Ryan's body with his power. Samantha's in Brent's body with Brent's power. Ryan has no power because he's in his own body. And for that to be the reason why, like, he's not there doing shit and being like, fuck, we gotta get this done. Like, incapacitate your powerhouse if that's what you need to do. You have a fucking non-magical body right there. Except that also, he would be in Margaret's body and Margaret knows power. Because that's what fucking got her in this place in the mm-hmm, first, mm-hmm. you know. But either way, for him to be like, okay, Brent's in my body and that's a problem. Because he doesn't know how to handle my, my, my stuff. For this to feel like it has any stakes at all would be super yeah, fucking Yeah, instead of just being like, I'm gonna go, you let me know when you need me. Yeah, and uh, then why are you here? Yeah. If your presence is only going to be a problem that the author needs to solve in the worst way possible, why are you here? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, he just fucks off while telling us, the readers, that it's not actually a problem. Because if it were, I would care about it enough to stick around and solve it. But I'd like to point out, we find out he left on page 175, and he is back by page 185. Because this book can't handle time or pacing at all. It's another fucking Brent situation. Like, why leave? I would be moving all of this around. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. There's so and, much of this. And what is, what is, tell me what you want to do, you know, like, like, figure, when you figure out what you want to do, like, what do you mean, buddy? They already told you. And you said no. Like, what are you even addressing? Do you know that Brent has been knocked out of his body? Shouldn't you be able to tell that, Mr. Big Powerhouse? Or are you literally just referring to Samantha? Ugh. Anyway, so the kids get back together. They eventually figure out the wildest thing that... I don't even have words to articulate how fucking ridiculous the actual solution to this mystery is, right? And it, like, hinges on, did Ryan react a little too strongly on the idea of taking Margaret's body? No, yeah, yeah. So, what happened, y'all, is that... You know, Samantha, the character that people have extensively researched to try to find out who she is, is actually related to Margaret. Delilah says, we all assumed that Samantha was related to your accident because, you know, she showed up when you had your accident and it makes sense. But what if it made less sense? What if she had nothing to do with you and it was an entire coincidence that is not going to make sense once all the pieces are revealed and you think about it for more than like two minutes? <laughs> oh my God, right? It's like, why? Why, why couldn't it have just been simple? Why does everything have to be like, aha, 
I didn't see that coming. How could I have? We get this Ajila-ass twist where what if Samantha is related to Margaret's tragedy? You know, the one that we've only heard about. Do we introduce <laughs> 40 pages? 58 or whatever? Before the end of this book that we only heard about secondhand. Margaret is not a character. No. Margaret is a body. Margaret is a body who has a history that we're told about by Ryan and eventually Samantha herself. It's like, what if Margaret was trying to bind a fire elemental and fucked up and happened to draw the attention of a water elemental because they're just in proximity, I guess, New England fucking rife with elementals just stacked on top of each other it makes me wonder like are these these things just everywhere right is that what you're trying to tell me oh there's water so there's a water elemental there's air so there's an air elemental like like but they're so rare that very few people have like bound them what is it i don't know so margaret happened to bind a water elemental after she blew up her family trying to bond a fire elemental. And Delilah's like, well, what if this water elemental is like the impression of somebody that Margaret cared about? And this is all just based on the fact that Samantha reacted too strongly to the idea of being put in Margaret's body. Yeah. That answers that, everybody. So you can go ahead and like... <laughs> sounds uh, sounds real to me. You can put your detective hats away. We've solved it. Case closed. <laughs> I think Delilah also has insight because she was briefly in Margaret's body and she remembered how much Margaret like cared about her saving her sister. Yeah. This is where I'm again like, oh, super convenient that her memories are there, but not herself. Right. So she says, okay, well, we're going to solve this problem. By summoning Samantha back, lol, she's out cavorting around in Brent's body. We don't even know what she does in this time. Nope, we're just gonna call her back, and uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna fix this. We get to see some magic for the first time. It's through Cooper's eyes because the one with Delilah and Samantha in the forest was like, we're seeing it until we don't. The cool shit is not shown. Nope, and we're literally told. When Samantha shows up, she's like, I had his cell phone. You didn't think to call me? (laughs) Listen, that's the best line in the fucking book, okay? Like, that's actually funny. It is. And I've had, (laughs) I've had characters in my games be like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna get in touch with this person across the way of this graveyard? Oh, I have my cell phone. I'll, I'll turn the light on and wave it so they see us. (laughs) I'm just like, okay. And they never, and they did. And I'm like, you know, you could have just called him. You literally used your cell phone <laughs> to wave him down. You could have texted. <laughs> right? So people don't think. But to have had this cool scene and then be told, you didn't need to do that. Again, <laughs> you're just trying to hit 50k. You are. You're really undermining your stakes here at every turn. Right? And it's like, well, would you have come? And she's like, maybe. But like, she could have impressed upon them and been like, look. And then you could have had delilah go out to try to convince her to come back and and have had anything for delilah to do or or cooper to get back in another car like obviously because margaret can't move her legs we can't take brent conveniently but like anything getting out there and seeing her using brent's body to like 
have a good time and them needing to convince her and then her getting angry and them like needing to calm her down and be like, you really need to do this and doing it somewhere not in this hospital. Like that would have been great. And also then we never would have had to see Ryan again (laughs) since he had already fucked off. Like there were other ways to do this that would have raised the stakes. It's also extremely wild. Everything climactic that takes place in this book happens in this hospital. And, like, the doctors and nurses just let them. Because it's not like they they fuck with everyone's heads. It's always just, like, one nurse and that, that nurse will tell everyone else to leave them alone. Like, they don't even do it until Delilah has to do this ritual. Before that, Delilah... Somebody who was, like, rendered comatose because she almost drowned or whatever is just allowed to get up and fucking walk around two hours after she's woken up. She doesn't have an IV in her or nothing, I'm sure. Yeah, like, Brent and um, Cooper, who both also passed out, are just allowed to fucking wander around the hospital and nobody says shit. And it's, like, stuff that you fucking have to hand wave for this climax to happen. It's, like, there had to have been a better way that required less hand-waving. Yeah. So, eventually they convince Ryan that this is Samantha, Margaret's sister, and Margaret would have done anything to have saved her sister. Like, again, it would have been great if Ryan actually really gave a fuck about Margaret instead of being like, I'm just waiting to, like, take this body off life support. (laughs) And I don't want, you know, anyone else to use it. It would have been great if, like, she mattered to Ryan. If he was like, she was m- my my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And she did this thing, even though I told her not to. Because, like, she was a strong, independent woman who don't need no Ryan. <laughs> like, you know, if, if it was just something where he was like, I knew Samantha and I knew Margaret. And for them to be like, you really didn't know Margaret. She loved her sister. This is why this happened. Blah, blah, blah. Anything to make Ryan's insistence mean something. So that when he gives it up, he's giving it up for the remaining pieces of someone he gave a shit about. And I I honestly don't know if there's a way to make the thing where Samantha gets Margaret's body work for anybody. (laughs) No, I, I just, I hate it. They have to do, yet again, they have to do so many back clips, so much hand waving to make this body snatching thing okay and it still doesn't work i don't remember much about this book i didn't remember much but like i did remember oh yeah that's the book that has non-consensual body snatching that they try to make (laughs) super okay it's almost worse that they go to such lengths to be like no guys it's okay she's actually the sister that she gave up her life for except that she's like she's like a downloaded copy <laughs> she's not even the real soul of her sister well no and like the memories that are inside the body like they would make like a complete person so it would be okay because margaret like would want this for what remains of her sister and herself like you can't just be like there's photographs out there in video fine margaret's dead Margaret wouldn't give a fuck like it's very weird and very creepy to me because also the fact that like when she gets into Margaret you know in the next chapter or so it's like she does start to remember people that are important to Margaret and it's like yeah that's creepy those aren't your people this isn't your life that isn't your body yeah no you're you're a different person like the entire book 
ends on the note of you are still Samantha. You're not Sister Samantha. You're Elemental Samantha. You're not the same creature. Why couldn't this book have been about, like, him going to Ryan and learning, oh, you know, you are this, you are Samantha Elemental. Margaret was my, you know, the important person to me, student, whatever, and figuring out how to give her a life. And, like, having the conflict of, well, but she's not really those things. What is consciousness? What makes you, you? And there's even the line where Delilah's like, you know, um, I think therefore I am, so I must still be alive. To question the state of existence. Mm -hmm. Like the back of the book, right? It says the nature of power and responsibility. I feel like it it should have been about identity and what makes you, you. Because she's not Margaret and she's not Sister Samantha. She's Elemental Samantha. And what does, what is she owed? Should we take out the pieces of her that are Sister Samantha? Yeah. Could she choose to go back to being an elemental power? I I feel like this book was so in love with the idea of Samantha. Yeah, and it Ryan explicitly states more than once. He's like, Samantha is an elemental, but she's not a good elemental. She's a shitty (laughs) elemental. Because if she were a good elemental, she could just make her own body. So teach her how to be a better elemental. Right. Remove the pieces of her that are the sister that remember being alive. She won't want to be that anymore. I mean, Delilah says, you don't realize how much power you possess, Samantha. You limit yourself by claiming flesh at all. You say right there, you're not supposed to be this way. And any elemental, any elemental is more powerful than everyone in this room. Well, you know, that's the thing. Samantha's like, I don't want to be powerful. I want to be alive. It's not her fucking right. It's just, it's a wild solution to a problem that you've created where once again if you're just a regular ass reader off the street you would not even know how (laughs) elementals work i i wouldn't know and i didn't know until this book that you could be an elemental who wasn't that good at being an elemental I, i wouldn't know that there was a difference like you're an elemental the end like i didn't know it was like the vampires was like some vampires are shitty at being vampires oh okay well why can't you just be an elemental. Why can't you just be attached to water? Like, how many of them are there? Are you all connected to the same one? Is this a fucking, you know, Odo and the Founders situation? <laughs> I feel like the solution I've just come up with, and I'm sure there's, again, you know, a five-page essay on why I couldn't, like you said. <laughs> I think the answer is Samantha, the elemental, should be powerful enough. But what Margaret did to her by naming her and forcing the idea of Samantha onto her has forced her to think that she's a human and it's limiting her access to her elemental power. If we can detach her from Margaret's view of what she should have been, she will be able to make this body in the same image of Samantha that you see, if she so chooses, once she is disconnected from the like mortal memories that are holding her back. And then she can choose to be, you know, alive. Literally, like, any conflict in here that deals with, like, the fucking lofty things that this book says it deals with, like, there's so much that you could do with this character and with the idea, again, of what what is a person? Yeah. What is an elemental? Like, what do you want to be, but like, and the, even the conflict of like, I don't want to be powerful. I just want to be alive. Cool. Fine. Great. Let's explore that. But we 
it's just all so thrown together here. Like, we're just, a bunch of shit is thrown at us. Like, hey, this is a problem. We can't fix it this way because of this thing. We have to fix it this (laughs) way because of this thing. Oh, okay, didn't know that was a thing. All right. It's so caught up in its own fucking lore, it never gives it to us. Yes. And if you read the other Den of Shadows books, it doesn't matter because it's not in there either. Well, and there's even a line where, like, I God, I don't even remember who it is. I think it's somebody being like, Delilah or Ryan, you know, one of them, they know what they're talking about. So I'm not going to question them. I'm just going to trust that they know what they're talking about. And I'm like, is that cough, cough reader? Don't question yeah. it. You know, just trust that I, the author, just know what I'm talking me. about. There's so many moments where like, so I think I'd mentioned earlier the idea that no one had ever bound themselves to a water elemental before. Do you know that? Is that the author saying that? Or is that Delilah saying that? Like, <laughs> does Delilah not know of anyone? And so therefore, she had learned that from Ryan. So Ryan doesn't know anyone. Like, it's a big world. And there's a lot of history. Mm-hmm. So like, what are we saying? Right. <laughs> anyway. So whatever. Like, fucking ghost impression of Margaret's sister, Samantha, is mm-hmm. going to take Samantha's meat suit. Ryan Margaret's meat suit. Margaret's meat suit, my bad. And Ryan's not gonna be involved in this. He's gonna make a secondary circle to keep whatever the fuck they do in. I'm so confused. Thanks, why were you here? Right. Why were you here? Ryan literally shows up because he drove Samantha to the hospital after she was summoned. Yeah. Again, this is why they should have gone out to get her. Margaret's body should have been fine because all the power had like stitched her back together. Whatever. Why did Samantha go to Ryan for a ride? He's dangerous to her. Right? What what the fuck sense does that make? But, like, it doesn't have to make sense because we need Ryan to be here to object for five seconds and then fuck off again. To tell us that, like, oh, you children need to settle your game. It's not important enough for me to care about. I'm gonna be out here not on page. You guys solve this yourself. This is the fucking worst. Like, what are the stakes? So it's like, you look at it and go, all right, well, if this dude who apparently knows his shit isn't worried, I'm not. Exactly. Exactly. Am I supposed to be worried that Cooper needs to do a thing he's never done on purpose? Oh, right. Because we get back to that thing that we briefly talked about a couple of chapters ago, where Cooper is going to use his fucking body bouncing ability to knock uh, Samantha out of Brent's body and into Margaret's. Okay, glad that came back. Don't know why we had to go through this weird cul-de-sac to get back to it. <laughs> so they do it. They knock Samantha in. It happens. Yeah. They knock Samantha into Margaret's body. It's fine. Okay, wait. There's one moment I do want to put in as, again, we just need Cooper to be by. As Delilah's explaining to Cooper how, like, she raises power and whatnot, Brent offers touch can help focus too. At least that's the way your ability seemed to be triggered in the past. Like, if there had been more between them, that would have been a great moment. Instead of it just being, like, technical. But no. Nope. Samantha's the end game, so who fucking cares? Which you wouldn't even necessarily know. Nope. Comes out of nowhere. Right. There's not, like, a fucking relationship of longing between her and Brent. Or Cooper, right. rather. They don't, like, lie together in the, in the, like, bedroom talking all night about their hopes and dreams. Because she doesn't have any except getting a body for some fucking reason. Right. So, Samantha gets knocked back into Margaret's body. And I swear to God, you guys, she says, I remember. Oh my God, I, I remember it all. What I used to be. 
What happened? She says on page 192 of 200. To the mystery that we only learned about on page like 150 something. (laughs) Then she began narrating the tale with the same horrified expression as she nervously twisted her short hair between shaking fingertips. Like, the fact that you're going to have your character say, I'm going to narrate the answer to this fucking mystery in a flashback? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So it turns out that Samantha was water. Just doing water things. Things only water understand. And (laughs) What you doing? Water things. (laughs) You know, being raindrops and mist and stuff. Chilling out. So she hears crying. So she goes to this person who's crying, and it's Margaret. Like, it could only be Margaret. Of course. And Margaret is using her power to try to get her sister's soul. Because she has incinerated her family in her attempt to bind a fire elemental. Keep in mind, a few days before Cooper's accident. Right. It's so. So looking at this again, it does seem like she does this all... No. Is it a few days before? Yes. The fire happened a few days before Cooper's accident. Because, like, the way she's here and she's weeping and whatnot, you would think this would be, like, that kind of grief. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. (laughs) Yeah, you would think that that would be immediate watching the fucking fire, like, if the house burned down. But as the book has presented it to us, this is a few days after. So, Samantha the Water Elemental finds this girl crying and trying to use her sorcerer's power to get her sister's soul. She has apparently been doing this for several days because, again, the fire took place a few days before Cooper's accident, and this thing that's happening right now is happening on the day of Cooper's accident. Yes. But Margaret had been so desperate to find her sister that she didn't protect herself from the grief goblins. She allows Margaret to basically imprint the idea of her sister Samantha onto this water elemental, and she gains consciousness. From there, Samantha is like, oh, I have to protect this girl because I care about her. So she tells her to run away from the grief monsters. And I'd like to point out, this means that she did bind herself to a water elemental. I guess so. Because that water elemental was now protecting you, but only within a certain, you know, distance. Because it wasn't like a full binding. She bound her to the idea of Samantha instead. (laughs) Fucking question mark, I guess. I guess. So Margaret runs into the road and throws herself in front of Cooper's car, basically, accidentally. Yeah. So that is what we learn in this flashback. What we already know, Cooper remembers seeing a figure in the mist that made him slam mm-hmm. on Someone his thought brakes. they saw a deer. Yeah. This is the reason that Cooper caused the accident, because he thought he was going to hit somebody. And he did. We find out there were no bodies near the site of the crash. We also find out from Ryan that Margaret's body is found in the woods two weeks later, uh, after the fire. So, of course, it wasn't connected. Right. Like, presumably far enough away from the highway that people don't associate the body 
with the accident. And also, like, how far was Margaret's house from the highway? she ran through the woods to over to the highway. None of this makes sense. Like, this only makes sense if the fire happens at the same time as the pileup on the highway. But the book has explicitly told us that that is not what happened. And it would just be easier. Instead, we're just supposed to accept that either two days passed between Margaret incinerating her family and binding Samantha, or two days passed while Margaret was binding Samantha, then runs into, like, the highway. Neither way it makes sense. No. And she wakes up in this body now, and she remembers having friends, or that Margaret does, but she's me now, so I guess I have them. She remembers losing her family, and everyone's like, why don't we leave? And Cooper's like, I'm gonna stay. Yep, and Delilah and Brent fuck off in a way that implies that maybe they're gonna fucking get back together again. Or at least be friends again. Yep. And Samantha will now have to basically fucking deal with Ryan, live at his house, like, that's gonna be fucking great. Why would we want that for her? (laughs) He's been nothing but a dick to everyone. This doesn't sound like a good ending. It doesn't matter how the characters have actually interacted. What matters is that she has, like, a fucking clean place to go when it's all over, even though she's technically an orphan and, like, a minor. And uh, still an elemental in this flesh. Because when she was in Brent's body, she didn't stop being that. Oh, I'd also like to mention that it feels like the end of Persistence, where it was like, and it's cool because we've got like all of these acres to hang out and be hyenas that Siobhan and Ajila gave to us. Oh, it's cool because I'm going to go live with Ryan now. That's it. It's the assurance that don't worry, it's not going to be hard for her. You figured out your supernatural situation, so that will fix your fucking maladies, whatever they may be. You'll have clear skin forever. <laughs> right. So she's like, Cooper, I have friends now. It's like the ethical thing to do for me, a completely different character to reconnect with them. And Cooper connects it to like the alienation that he was feeling from his friends and says like, yeah, I changed a lot because of the accidents, but my friends still wanted to see me. And it's like, Cooper, this is not the same thing. No, it's really not. This is a different being. You still have all those memories. You're still the same person. You just, you know, had some PTSD and grief monsters. Yeah. This is like if you walked up to Margaret's friends, Cooper, and said you were Margaret. Yeah. Except that you looked like her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are we our memories? Like, again, this book really should have focused more on identity and what makes us ourself. Mm-hmm. Because like, if Cooper was having this sense of alienation around, I'm not acting the same way, am I still myself? Like, all of this could have worked in that direction. Even Delilah could have only recently changed, and that's why her and Brent broke up. Mm-hmm. Anything to be like, what is a person? Who is a person? How do you know them? There's this, like, gesture at symmetry when... Cooper is, like, talking to Samantha, and he's like, yeah, it's going to be a long road to recovery, but I'm going to be here for you the way you were here for me. And it's like, I see what you're going for. (laughs) I see it telegraphed. That's how much I see it. But, like, this doesn't feel satisfying because it, it doesn't match up. Like, the things that you're trying to compare are not actually comparable. Yeah. One is physical therapy. (laughs) 
The other is lying to a bunch of people. Right. (laughs) And then the worst thing that ever happened in one of these books is it ends on a promise to go on a date. Right. Because that's the (sighs) note we needed to go out on. That's what you want us to to take away from this? Is that, like, these two are going to go on a date? Right. It didn't matter what she was. She was Samantha. (laughs) Really? This isn't I am Rasika. Yeah, God. This is she was Samantha. It makes it about her. It's it's nothing about him. And it sets up a lot of codependence. And, like, this book hasn't really been about Samantha's trauma until about four chapters ago. Yeah, no, it, it has not earned it. When I edit with people, even on, like, a short story or chapters, mm-hmm. I'm a stickler for, like, nailing the ending on those. Mm-hmm. You gotta stick the landing or no one will give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, right. They won't keep turning the page. You just went out on, like, a, aw, it's a date. <laughs> like, that's not the fucking point of this book. Yeah, you're telling me that it's been about the relationship between Samantha and Cooper and how it can endure. When you open it with with him being irritated, and then the first time she can talk to someone else, she's like, oh, thank God, he's not that smart, (laughs) and I've been so bored, like, just hanging out with him. Oh, yeah, super good couple. Really rooting for you, kids. Super in love with each other. I can really feel (laughs) it. And even the times where Ryan was like, Eh, I could just get rid of her. And Cooper is like, no, she's not evil like you think she might be. Cooper is never like, get rid of Samantha, but I care so much about her. He was, he's not worried about, what will I do without her? Oh, but we had all these plans and ideas of what we will do when I, when she gets a body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the moments that he had an opportunity to realize that maybe he loved her. No, it's just, no, we can't do that to her. I, I promised her I would help, you know, and she seems like a nice but lost kid. It's just like, I'm a nice guy, and I'm pretty sure Samantha's nice, too. And that's that's the extent of it. Yeah, but I guess two young, attractive people, uh, she's probably going to date. Yep. All right, Ali, would you recommend this book? I do not. <laughs> Shocked. Shocked, I say. <laughs> Again, it's not a book, it's a draft. How about you? No, because it's a draft. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't even be too mad at it. I can't. I can be mad at it because it's a book in a physical form that I can hold in my hands and people pay money for. But because it's a draft, I'm not like, fuck this book, the way we've been about some books in the past. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, this feels as though you could edit it and find a story. Unfortunately, you already published it. Yeah, I think honestly, that's more frustrating to me. Because like, at least I feel like somebody put effort into making that thing fully formed and bad. I'm, like, frustrated that it feels... I absolutely think that nobody cared about this book when when it was going through the publishing process. It's just, it's there's so many parts where it's like, this is so easily fixable, and you chose not yeah. to. Yep. So the reason that I'm not in a rage is because after Sunday night, I would have forgotten about this book if this was a book I was just reading for myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. After Wednesday evening, I would have DNF'd it if I didn't have to do this podcast. Mm -hmm. If I was just like trying to write a review of it, I would have just been like, I'm 100 pages in. I'll just be honest and say that I didn't finish it. Mm -hmm. But we were doing a podcast and this is like part of a series. Like I vented to so many random people. (laughs) One of them was like, well... Have you already announced you're doing this book? Could you like wait until a later time when you're feeling like up for it? I'm like, mm, this is the next one in the series. This is how we do it. 
And I don't even fucking know what it says about the author's backlist. Uh, I mean, we talked about how this was like a weird contract for three books, right? And it was like this one, the 2007 nano book, and then all just glass and poison tree. So like, it is what it is, which is like this weird out of nowhere story. It is an unnecessary installment in the Den of Shadows series. Agreed. I don't think skipping it affects anything. The only thing is recognizing the connection between mental health stuff in the previous book and then connecting the addiction stuff in the subsequent Altus Glass that we've already reviewed. Mm -hmm. The sorcerers don't fucking matter. Nope. We do learn about elementals, but in such a way that's like, but here's the worst elemental. So that when we get back to dealing with elementals in the final book of this series, I don't think it will matter mm-hmm. if you'd never met them in this one. So it's skippable. I'm sorry you spent $8 on it. I'm going to return it. No worries. Do it. Do it right now. I'm going to. <laughs> uh, yep. So that's it. That's that book. Thank you, all of our listeners, for joining us here. When we come back next time, we will be talking about... Which one is it? Poison Tree? Poison Tree. Oh boy, I've got information on some meta on that. That'll be fun. I am excited. Stuff that is mine to talk about. Yeah. Until then, come chat with us over on Twitter. I'm there at Olivia Hennis. The podcast is Backlist Podcast. I am on Twitter at Endless underscore run. And you can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash backlist and chill. Thank you to all of our patrons for joining us yeah. and being here. Keep on trucking through these these books. We'll, we'll get to some more fun ones, I'm sure. Eventually, we'll get back to the dick and fart jokes. No worries. <laughs> you can tell when it's a good episode because we get memes made. <laughs> right? No memes of this one, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm holding out for a Ryan LaCroix. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> like LaCroix, like the drink. Okay. Just like a can of this fucking <laughs> sorcerer dude. This hint of a person who could help but isn't really around to do that. No. Um, <laughs> All right. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.